are too big for his bed Nothing seems to fit Those raindrops are falling on my head They keep falling So I just did me some talking to the sun And I said I didn't like the way he got things done Sleeping on the job are falling on my head they keep falling but there's one thing I know the blues they send to meet me won't defeat me it won't be long till happiness steps up to greet me rain Falling on my head But that doesn't mean My eyes will soon be turning red Crying's not for me Cause I'm never gonna stop the rain By complaining Because I'm free Nothing's worrying me Pizza time Welcome to MCU Complete Me, the show where we talk about every Spider-Man movie and decide how they're the best movies ever. <laughs> I'm your host, Crystal. With me, as always, is Luke. You had me at pizza. Sounds like you had a good time watching this. This movie is is good flick. It's a pretty good movie. They, they don't make the blockbusters like this anymore. I will say, at like the 10-minute mark of this movie, I was like, wait, fuck. This movie's kind of just perfect, huh? And then... As it went, I was like, okay, maybe that's a stretch, but kind of a real good movie. Yeah, I, I will not call this movie perfect. I think there are some flaws, but I think it's... It, it, when it comes to superhero action blockbusters, it doesn't get too much better than this. No, yeah, yeah. I mean, like, I'm racking my brain. Spider-Verse tops it, probably, or I don't know. What do you think? I, I might say it's about equivalent. I, uh, I think I would give it to Spider-Verse because I think... I have relatively, like, I have medium-sized problems with this movie that, like, okay, when that part's not going on, I like it, but it's hard to ignore the parts I don't like. What parts don't you like? I think the romance is pretty bad. Really? Yeah, I'm not into it. I think Peter comes off as a giant creepo, and I just can't buy the idea that Mary Jane would be into him at all. I agree that Peter comes off as a giant creepo, I, I think I kind of like it. it, not in spite of that, but yeah. I don't know, it gives a certain texture to it. Sure, I guess I would like it more, I would like it more if that was the point, and it feels like that's not, that's maybe the point of the halfway part, but then it just doesn't make a lot of sense to me that she's so enamored with him, and is like desperate for him to just ask her to like go out. Yeah, he does just kind of get rewarded for his bullshit. Yeah, yeah. That's fair. But basically, when it's not focused on the romance subplot, I adore this movie. I, I would say my main criticism of this movie is I think Doc Ock, Alfred Molina is a charismatic actor, so he is uh-huh. just like fun to watch. There's yeah. not a whole lot to him, especially compared to the Green Goblin. I guess that is true. Yeah, yeah, I see what you're saying. But I think you're right that Alfred Molina is a go- a fun enough actor that like it kind of doesn't matter. Like I would take this Doc Ock over most MCU villains. Is this a, when's the last time you saw this movie, Luke? God, it. Uh, 
I'm trying to think. It might have been, like, before Spider-Man 3 came out. Like, watching all of them, uh, to, like, or what, all of them. Watching 1 and 2 to, like, prep for 3. I would have been in, like, high school. Because I'm trying to think if I'd seen it since then. It wasn't like, oh, Spider-Man 3 was so bad, I, I swear these movies off. It was just... I don't know, like, I'd, I'd probably seen it a couple times by that point, and I've just never come back to it. When that, um, when Marvel's Spider-Man came out for the PlayStation 4 home entertainment system, I had a thought of, hey, what if I went back and watched all the Sam Raimi movies? And then I watched the first one, and I was like, actually, that was enough Spider-Man movie for me for now. It was fine, but I don't feel the need to watch the other two. Yeah, I never owned this movie on home video, so while I've seen the first one, like, dozens of times, I think I've only seen this one maybe two or three times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this is probably the first time I've watched it in, in many years. Mm. But yeah, the, there. I see why I was confusing some parts of this movie with the first one, because there are a lot of very similar, like, callback scenes. Yeah, there's definitely multiple scenes that are meant to be, like, the mirror of a scene from the first movie. Like, the opening is one of those. Yeah, the opening is a bunch of really nice illustrations of scenes from the first movie. Oh, yeah, that part, too. I was thinking of once it transitions out of that, like, just like the first movie, it opens with Peter narrating over a picture of MJ. Except this time, it's not her in the flesh, it's a photo of her. Because she's she's now a big Broadway star, and there's uh, posters of her all over Bleecker Street. Yeah, she's a star and also a model for a perfume company. She's not struggling anymore. She's made it. She's got the she got the jobs. But you know who is struggling is our old pal Peter Parker. Peter Parker, he can't even guarantee Joe's 29-minute delivery guarantee. <laughs> this opening set piece is so good. He's okay, so he's like 21 minutes late to his job. He's got eight right. minutes to deliver, no, seven and a half minutes to deliver a pizza like 17 million blocks away. <laughs> yeah. Or else they won't pay for these eight double decker extra triple large pizzas. <laughs> <laughs> right, so he just has the giant stack of pizzas. He starts off trying to go on his little, like, motorbike. Like, it's not a motorcycle, it's like a bicycle with a motor. Uh, which is the same thing, but you know what I mean. Um, and, like, that ends up, he ends up, like, wiping out because he's weaving through traffic, and he has to become Spider-Man so he can go zipping around town. Immediately, this movie won me over with the joke where he runs into an alleyway with the pizzas as a guy watches him, and then Spider-Man zips out of the alley with the pizzas, and the guy just goes, Hey! He just stole that guy's pizza! A lot, a lot of great tertiary random New Yorkers in this movie. Oh, <laughs> uh, I laughed! Like, that joke just caught me off guard in a way that made me laugh so hard. Even people that don't get, like, a brief focus, like... When he was in the restaurant, I noticed one of the extras in, extras in the background was just, like, really enthusiastically eating their pizza and drinking yeah, their Coca-Cola. Yeah, the guy you mean right now. He's just like, hmm, yeah. yeah, this is a good pizza. You gotta wash this down with a Dr. Pepper. That's why, that's why, that's why everyone goes to Joe's instead of the pizza yurt. I, I am also looking at this guy who has an empty Dr. Pepper bottle and a plastic, uh, like, a cardboard cup that's Dr. Pepper branded. So did I want the story of how he has both of these Dr. Pepper containers. <laughs> Did he... Br okay, I think what it would have to be, Joe's must only sell bottled sodas, and this guy brought his own Dr. Pepper cup from home because he wants to drink it out of a cup and not a bottle. That makes sense. I've done that at restaurants. Yeah, yeah. But I just like that this guy loves Dr. Pepper so much that he's, he saves the Dr. Pepper cups he gets from restaurants. 
Oh, we got a we need a movie following this guy. Yeah, see, this is what I'm talking about. We need more movies with guys like this. <laughs> guys just love Dr. Pepper, and that's who they are. Uh, but yeah, so we just get this like on one hand very like high intensity sort of like action sequence, but also the stakes are super low because it's just delivering pizza. Well, also if he doesn't make this delivery, he's going to be fired because you know he's a nice guy, but this is not the first time it's been an issue. He's just not dependable. Yeah, yeah. This the whole beginning of this movie is just a series of different people telling Peter that he's fucking up. Uh, I also like the guy while he's web slinging, like he has to drop the pizzas on a balcony to go save some kids that are about to get hit by a car and a guy just starts like oh hey free pizza and starts eating it and he he gets one slice but pete notices that the slice is missing and he webs it back before just before he can eat it and then he finally gets to the building he's supposed to deliver them to and i i feel like he might have made it if he hadn't spent five hours fiddling with these goddamn brooms well, you know, it's kind of like a visual metaphor for his life, Luke. There's always another broom. And the best he can do is just uh, close the door and have it fall next time he opens it. The thing is, you're, like, kind of right. <laughs> it's just a sight gag that he can't manage the brooms. But yeah, his entire life is about, like, every time he tries to focus on one thing he cares about, everything else he cares about falls apart. Yeah, it's like Samuel Raimi's a, a good director. Uh-huh, yeah, and he can, like, infuse the themes of the movie into a dumb sight gag. Yeah, but he delivers the pizza slightly late, and uh, she's not gonna pay for him. Yeah, he's, like, two to three minutes late, and I love- I still don't think Tobey Maguire's a very good actor in this movie, but I do love how he plays this scene where he just kind of smiles at her, he's like, Yeah, well, fuck me then, I guess. Here's the pizza, bye! So he gets fired, and that immediately cuts to him also getting fired from the Bugle, even though he's a free lancer yeah i do like uh mr aziz ripping the joe's pizza sticker off his helmet like he's like tearing a badge off his uniform (laughs) you betrayed the joe's pizza promise yeah i love this yeah this random new york pizza guy who just god damn it he's he is the one pizza man left in this town with a shred of integrity and maybe that doesn't mean anything to you punk but it means something to me Frankly, it's an unrealistic delivery time. I mean, it it seems like it would have been perfectly realistic if Peter wasn't almost a half hour late for work. I don't know. That, that'd be tight. It's like across the city in his little scooter in the middle of the day full of traffic. I mean, they're implying that this is a regular customer of the pizza restaurant, so it must be... It seems to me like other people must make this delivery all the time. I guess so. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, then we get more Daily Bugle stuff. Uh, J. Jonah Jameson is just so perfect in all these movies. Yeah, Peter's ca- trying to kind of pitch him different photos that are not of Spider-Man, because every time he gives him a, a photo of Spider-Man, uh, JJJ prints a story about how Spider-Man sucks and is turning the city against him. Yeah. But he finally relents, gives him a picture of Spider-Man. There's a quick bit I really like where uh, Jonah offers him 150 and Peter says 300. Yeah. And Jonah kind of gets a twinkle of his eye like, good for you for negotiating. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I like that Jonah is a bastard who is terrible to everybody, including his family, but you can tell he likes Peter despite himself. Yeah, everyone really likes Peter. Yeah, but they're also all kind of exhausted by Peter because he ne- he's a fucking flake. This movie is filled with even, like, random women on the street. Both when he's swinging at Spider-Man, there's lots of shots of just random women being like, wow, Spider-Man's so hot. And then also a little later, when he gets his life together, random women are looking at him and checking him out. Yes, yeah. And also, like, every female character in the movie seems to at least be flirtatious with him. Yeah. Like, Miss Brandt is like, 
There's a little bit of a flirty energy with her and him in this scene. Yeah, they're supposed to have a, a lightly flirty work relationship. Yeah, yeah. But even the 300 he paid doesn't actually cover the advance that he got the other week. Right, so he's flat fucking broke. Uh, and also, he's late for class, so he's got to go sprinting to the university he goes to. The class is already let out, and he runs into his professor uh, on, like, the quad, and his professor is now, like, the third man to dress him down in, like, this morning. Uh, tell him, like, eh, fucking, what are you doing? You're clearly smart, but you don't do any of your fucking schoolwork. Connors is, I think, a bit of an asshole here, because it's clear that Peter is struggling with something. It's not just that he's, like, lazy. I think from Connor's perspective, the I, I agree with you, he's being a bit of an asshole. I think what he's seeing is that he can tell Peter is stretching his time too thin, and I think Connor's point of view is, hey, you're in fucking a university course, that needs to take priority in your life, and if it doesn't, uh, hey, eat shit. I think Peter could have been like, man, I am juggling two jobs that I'm in trouble at at both, while also my, like, only family is, like, struggling money-wise, can you cut me a fucking break? But, you know, without, you know, Connors is just seeing a guy that is, from his perspective, not, uh, like, prior prioritizing his life properly. Well, it's lucky that he can drop being Spider-Man, because if it was just the having two jobs thing, he does need to pay rent. Right, absolutely, yeah. Um, yeah. I also like that, you know, Dr. Connors is obviously the lizard. They don't, they, they show that he has, you know, one arm like the lizard, but they don't like make a thing out of it. It just, yeah, no, he's just a one-armed guy. Don't worry about it. Yeah, that, I think he, they were for like Spider-Man 5 eventually going to do the lizard, but they're, yeah. they're playing it cool. They're building, I, listen, I don't even remember how the MCU fucking works anymore. It's rotted my brain out. I like the way this movie is building up like the Spider-Man universe with just, like, little bits of, like, oh, yeah, there's a Spider-Man thing. That's not what this movie's about, but it's there. Don't worry. They even set up Doctor Strange. <laughs> yeah, they do. But, like, I don't know. I like the vibe of, like, oh, yeah, Dr. Connors is, like, a tertiary character in this movie more than I like, like, oh, let's walk through a hallway, but, like, do a zoom-in close-up on, like, this magic artifact that you know from the comic books. Oh, but, ah, maybe next time, you know. I don't know. This movie feels like it plays it cooler than the MCU does. I agree. Peter's so busy, he even forgot that it was his birthday. Yeah, he's been running ragged all day long and then goes to see Aunt May and there's a surprise party for him. Uh, May and Mary Jane and Harry are here. Harry seems like he's only sticking around because he's hoping that Peter will tell him who Spider-Man is. Yeah. Because at this point, it's known that, like, Spider-Man has some kind of relationship with Peter because he's the only one who can get photos of him. Right, right. It's one of those things where if this movie wasn't as heightened as it was, I would be completely like, no, it's not occurred to anybody that maybe he's Spider-Man, but, like, this movie is so, like I said, heightened and just goofy and melodramatic. They're like, yeah, no, of course it hasn't. That's... That doesn't make sense with the reality of this universe. It's fine. Harry also talks about how Mary Jane is obviously horny for Peter. Yeah. And he doesn't really understand why he's he's not jumping on that. I don't really understand why she's so horny for Peter. Because uh, he told her that good poem like two years ago. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. And because uh, he tastes like Spider-Man. Like, I could... Uh, I 
didn't like it very much in the first movie already, but there was at least a bit of, like, she has a horrible life, and he's, like, the one person who's nice to her at all. So I could, you know, I could get it from that angle. But now she's, like, successful and on her own, and, like, is doing okay. She's probably made a lot of other friends. We see some of them. She's dated other dudes. I don't understand why Peter would still hold any kind of uh, allure for her at this point. I think it would also be fine if there was a shorter time gap, but it's been about 18 months So, like, that's long enough for this flame to die. Right. Especially because it only sparked up, like, 20 months ago. You know what I mean? But I guess also the thing is that Peter has been, like, stringing her along that whole time. Yeah, I guess he has. Like, he's been intentionally keeping it in this weird limbo where they're always two seconds away from dating. Right, because he does not want to date her, but he gets visibly upset if he hears that she's dating someone else. I I can't date you because then my villains will target you, but I will make you the closest relationship in my life. Yeah, right. Also, every villain targets her anyway, you fucking asshole. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, Harry is, uh, he's mad about what happened with his dad. He's not, and he's mad at Peter for, like, taking Spider-Man's side. Yeah, the two things he cares about at this point are get the arc reactor projects and kill Spider-Man. Yeah, because he's also, yeah, he's taken over Oscorp. A surprise they would let him do that. Yeah, I don't know a lot about how corporations work. I don't think they work like kingdoms, literally. And also, everyone was already trying to push Norman out. Right, that's true. But maybe they like Harry, they just hated Norman. (laughs) (laughs) But also, Harry was shown as being like a dipshit burnout who wasn't good at anything in the first movie. How did he convince them to give him the company? Maybe he's surprisingly good at business. Maybe, maybe. Maybe that's the thing. He's good at business and not science, and that was the the rift between him and his dad. Here's my favorite scene in this movie. This is such a good scene, yeah. Uh, Aunt May has fallen asleep during the party. Uh, Harry and MJ have left. Peter sees a foreclosure notice on the table and goes to, like, wake her up and talk to her. And it is just, oh, what's the actress? Rosemary Harris, so fucking good in this movie. He, like, goes to wake her up and she just for a second is like, oh, yes, Ben? And then remembers, like, what year it is and is just like, it's so sad, but they don't play it as sad. Yeah, Aunt May gets a lot more texture in this movie. Yeah. And she uh, she gets up to give him his birthday present of $20. Right, after they talk, just talked about the foreclosure, and he's trying to, like, he's like, I-, I can't take your money when you're having money trouble. And she, like, gets angry, like, yes, you can, it's $20, you're my kid, take the fucking money. Yeah, she even says, like, it's not even that much, like, she's embarrassed that she only has so little to give, but she also knows that's a lot to him and also to her. Yeah. And they're both... Ah, it's good. Yeah, God. You don't, you don't get this when Tony Stark is your sponsor. <laughs> right, yes. <laughs> yeah, no, this scene is A+. Like, this is around the point, I think I paused the movie and was like, fuck, why is this movie so good? <laughs> yeah, they made a movie about, like, this is what we thought Jerry Maguire would be. <laughs> it's like, yeah. here's a movie about emotions and relationships. Right, and just, like, the idea, because, like, one of the big, like, metaphors of Spider-Man is that it's about, like, 
being a young adult and your fucking life being too many things for you to juggle at once and, like, you can't possibly manage everything you're expected to and you're burning out because it's too hard. And, like, this opening 15 minutes, like, nails that so well. And also you feel like you have to hide it and you can't possibly tell people and ask for help. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This this whole chunk is great. Mary Jane is waiting outside the porch of her parents' house, just, just like the old days, to catch Peter while he's taking out the trash. Yeah, it's like a, the parallel to the scene where, like, he was taking out the trash and she ran out crying because her parents were fighting or whatever last time. And she here, here she is really, really intensely asking him to confess his feelings. Yes. And then he doesn't. She's like, rolls her eyes like, oh, fine. I have a boyfriend anyway, idiots. Right. Or I do now. Now I'm committing to dating that guy. I feel like she was already dating him, but like... She knew that maybe things were about to get, like, really serious. You know, she she probably had a, the sense that he was going to propose soon. And it was like, hey, you know what? Last fucking chance, idiot. I kind of got the sense that she had been on, like, a date with John and hadn't, like, committed to him and that the proposal just kind of came early in the relationship. Maybe. That's a really early proposal if that's what happened. Which I guess, you know, people do that sometimes, but... That happens. And I also kind of got the sense that she only said yes to that because she was mad at Peter. Uh, I think that was definitely a big factor. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I would say, again, I don't love the romance subplot. Part of it, this, I wouldn't want to make the movie longer over it, but uh, John is not a character. <laughs> no, not, not a whole lot to John. Venom himself. Yeah, yeah. The man-wolf. Did they imply that he brings Venom home in the third movie? Um, no, Venom just, like, crashes on a meteorite at the start of the movie. It's much like the beginning of, uh, the VeggieTales, uh, special, uh, Larry Boy and the Gigantic Fib, or whatever that one's called. I- I missed that one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry, Larry Boy and the Fib from Outer Space, excuse me. Okay. <laughs> You see, the Fib is an alien that, like, not physically, but sort of psychically leeches off of a child and gets bigger and stronger every time the child lies. And it's it's a metaphor for how even a small white lie can get out of control, so you need to tell the truth 100% of the time, no matter what. I think Peter could could use that lesson. <laughs> yeah. Just tell someone, Peter. Tell one person. Right. But yeah, so, yeah, that MJ scene ends. Peter goes home to his shitty apartment. He doesn't get the nice apartment that, uh, you know, Norman bought for him and Harry anymore, I guess. That's makes sense. Uh, and he gets... Held up by his landlord, who is a prick, because he's a landlord. Uh, speaking of people who aren't characters, what's the deal with the landlord's daughter, who loves Peter? It Yeah, it feels like there's, like, a they cut scenes from, uh, about her from the movie or something. Like, I guess she's supposed to be there later to be like, oh, there are options besides Mary Jane. But then nothing really comes of that. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I honestly didn't even take the scene that way, although she obviously has, like, a crush on Peter. I just took it more as... Because she shows up again when he's in, like, one of his lowest points in the movie. And it's just, hey, you know, even when everything's awful, there are, like, kind people around if you pay attention. And they will, like, show you kindness. Yeah, that's a good point. But yeah, his landlord snatches the 20 bucks Aunt May gave him, because it's all the money Peter has until he gets paid again. So now he has zero dollars. Yep, he's flat broke and is like a month behind on rent. It's not going well for him. But, uh, Harry, Harry set him up with a meeting with Dr. Octavius, the guy he's writing a paper about for school. Yeah, because it, Octavius is working for Oscorp. Uh, Harry is very convinced that, uh, Octavius is gonna win them, like, the Nobel Peace Prize. 
Yeah, he's building a, a device that can make a small little sun. Yeah, it's a fusion reactor that makes just like a sun the size of a beach ball and is basically free energy. That See, I love this. This is the kind of comic book stuff I love. It's like, yeah. oh, fusion, that's kind of what the sun does. So what if we represented that by it making a little sun? Yep, yeah, no, it's so like, uh, yeah, like you said, like pulpy science fiction. I love it. Uh, but yeah, he, Peter starts talking with Doc Ock, no, he's not Doc Ock yet, Octavius, who is initially, like, put off by the fact that he has to fucking deal with one of Harry's dumb friends. He's like, I, I really don't have time for this, and Harry kind of clears his throat, and he's like, ah, well, you're friends with a rich guy, so I guess I have to be nice to you. But then within, like, five minutes, Peter totally wins him over. Yeah, get this, the villain in this movie is kind of like a father figure to Peter. Oh, huh, weird. <laughs> What's a Spider-Man movie that doesn't do that? Um, I don't think 3 does. Uh, yeah, you're right. I guess it doesn't. Yeah, because, like, Eddie Brock isn't Sandman. I don't think really... I don't think Peter Parker talks to Sandman at all. Just Spider-Man does. Yeah. And Harry obviously isn't. Oh, there you go. There you go. Maybe that's why that one is uh, considered a little iffy. Oh, some might say it's the best one. We'll have to see. I'm excited to revisit it. Yeah, they, they end up having a conversation for, like, several hours, and they have dinner with his wife. Yeah, I just love how quickly it escalates from, he can spare, like, five minutes of his time to, okay, no, you're coming home to dinner with me. I love you, kid. Peter says, uh, you know, if you if you did the math a little wrong, you might blow up the whole city. And Otto's like, well, I didn't do it wrong. Yeah, you get just a little, because Octavius is very kind, and he's very, like thoughtful clearly but you get little flashes that he has an ego to him and that's gonna be like his critical flaw uh he gives him some love advice because he says his wife was an english major and uh he won her heart by learning some poetry yeah so peter learns so then peter learns reads poetry so he can win mj's heart but he's already won it he's past this stage <laughs> That's true. I'm glad that when this comes back later, it doesn't work because it is maybe one of my least favorite things in movies when one character recites a poem to the other and it like melts their heart. Like, fuck you. No one ever does that. Well, it worked in the first movie, though. Like in... Wait, when did it happen in the first movie? Oh, right. He... Like, that's different, though, because he was using poetic language, but he was just speaking from the heart about how much he, like, cared about MJ, as opposed to literally, like, reading and citing a poem. You know what I mean? Yeah, he wrote his own poem. He didn't read someone else's poem. Like, I really love the movie Groundhog Day, but... Um, I'm blanking on both the character's name and the actress's name, but the, the female lead in that movie, the way they show that she's really deep and thoughtful is that she can recite poems off the top of her head. And, like, that's how Bill Murray starts to win her over is by saying poems. Like, that's just not, that's not how people work. Isn't the modern day version of that, like, reciting tweets you saw? <laughs> yeah, but I don't think I've ever seen a romantic comedy <laughs> where someone recites... Like, the buddy they won't even let me fuck the flag tweet, and it makes the woman's heart melt. Oh, give that 20 years. <laughs> yeah, you know, maybe when I see that in cinemas, I will uh, revise my opinion. This is what I'm saying when it seems like Peter's been stringing her along for two years. Like, if you don't want to be in a relationship with her, don't read her romantic poetry. <laughs> right, why are you sitting here in the laundromat uh, trying to memorize poems to recite to her? Uh, yeah, he's, he's a creep and a dick, and I, it, it sucks because in most regards, I, he's very sympathetic and, like, relatable, but then when it comes to MJ, I hate him. 
Yeah, it's it's like a like a reverse incel story. Sorta, of, yeah. Where Mary Jane is the nice guy, right? And for some reason, Peter just won't get with her, even though it's very obvious. Yeah, he keeps he keeps referencing uh, there was a disturbance, like he's a fucking Jedi. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it's because yeah, he's he's at the laundromat like cleaning his clothes. Uh, I do like the joke of he washed the spider suit and it ruined all of his whites, and he doesn't have a whole lot of clothes. Right. Uh, and then yeah, he's getting ready for to go see her play. Finally, uh, you know, you got the shot of like, oh, he's got a suit and the Spider-Man costume in his closet. Ah, uh, the duality of man. Uh, but then as he's like getting ready in the mirror, he's got just like a bunch of photos of MJ stuck up there. And what are you doing, you creep? You can't do this. You cannot have a like line of photos that MJ took at a photo booth. How'd you even get those? I I mean she's an actress. Maybe, I don't know. They sell. they look like the kind that print off at like a mall photo booth. Maybe they went to a mall photo booth together. But he's not in them. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. Yeah. Just to, you. You need to either tell her Spider Man or you need to leave her life. Yes, one hundred percent. You can't be in this limbo. I won't even say that. You need to when you told her last movie. Hey, I will always be there as your friend. You need to either commit to that or accept that you're unable to and leave her life. He's clearly unable to. Yeah, clearly. Uh, he is driving his little motor scooter bike to the play, and uh, unfortunately, this is still a universe where criminals exist. And uh, some bank robbers in a car uh, almost run him over, but he does a sick backflip over the car. Do total his little scooter. Yeah, ruins his scooter. um, And he's like, ah, heck, now I gotta go deal with this. Um, Some kids do see him do the cool flip, and he's just like, oh, you know, I just uh, eat my vegetables every day. And the kid's like, wow, that's what my mom tells me to do. I didn't know she meant it. He uh, he webs up the criminals and then steals their car to go to the show. Yeah. And, like, illegally parks in front of the theater and says, you can tow it, cop. I don't care. Which right. I like. Yeah. I do like the shot in this se- sequence of, uh, like, the robbers flip a cop car over and it's about to fall on top of a crowd of people. And they're, like, cowering but then stop because there's just a spider web that catches it. It's good. Good, good spider tricks. This movie has so much more, like, street-level superhero stuff than any MCU movie. Like, the big supervillain fight is, like, a big finale to all the smaller fights. It's a way better way of doing it. Yeah, I feel like the MCU tends to have a lot of uh, fewer, longer action scenes. Yeah. This movie has a lot of, like, quick, like, 20-second action scenes. Right, right. Uh, but Peter shows up late, so he can't get in as the rude usher, Bruce Campbell, who I like to think is the same guy from the wrestling promotion. That would be really good if it was the- It's just him and he's getting back at the kid. There's no way that promotion was not shut down within the last two years. 100%. But yeah, no, this scene is just great comedy-wise. Like, Peter walks in, and he's a little disheveled, and before the usher even talks to him, he's like, Oh, shoes untied. Oh, maybe straighten up your tie a little bit, sir. All right, there we go. Now, how can I help you? <laughs> I want to get in the show. I have a ticket. Oh, well, oh, I'm sorry. We do not open the doors after the show starts. He, like, gestures to a sign that says that. He kind of, like, bends down to get to his eye level. It helps maintain the illusion. It's so good. (laughs) My friend Mary Jane wanted me to come. Didn't want you to come late. (laughs) Yeah. 
It's it's great. So, so then Peter just has to go sit outside on the sidewalk, and there's uh, a lady like playing the Spider-Man theme song on a violin. And uh, he waits for Mary Jane to go outside, and one of her friends comes up to her and is like, "You sure you don't want to go out with us?" Okay, have a good night. Yeah. And then uh, her boyfriend, John, comes by and kisses her. Yes. And Peter is crushed because he's a creep. Yeah, he has to go sw- swing it out so he doesn't yell. Yeah. And is this when his powers first goof up or is that later? Yeah, this is when his powers goof up because subconsciously he wishes he wasn't Spider-Man. Right, right. So his powers just, like, he tries to sling a web and it just doesn't work midway through and he goes crashing into a building. Yeah, even though they do the organic web shooters, they still manage to fit in a scene where he forgets to refill his web fluid. They managed to fit in a couple. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, he just kind of has to, like, pick himself up, and suddenly he's getting, like, a sense of vertigo looking down the building, so he takes the elevator down. I really like that part, because that's not a Spider-Man power they usually talk about, but he would have to have a different sense of balance to not be puking all the time. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and then you just get, like, the funny bit in the elevator, where just a guy comes in and shares the elevator with him, and they're just making awkward small talk about the Spider-Man costume. Well, you know, this is expert screenwriting, because he says it gets on comfortable and it kind of rides in the crotch a bit it's Uh like yeah it does make his life more uncomfortable and it also prevents him from being with mary jane (laughs) you know i'm not gonna deny you that reading of it i just assumed this was toby mcguire speaking candidly about the costume Uh, I feel like this scene is a really good example of something these movies do well, which is, like, they will have fun with the superhero stuff and kind of, like, poke fun at it or, like, you know, not be super serious about it. But it doesn't feel like they're embarrassed about it the way the MCU tends to when they do that kind of joke. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, you're right. (laughs) I like the scene immediately after Peter walking home depressed along just a wall of Mary Jane posters. I I like the scene where he is leaving a voicemail for her and she comes home right as he calls. Yeah. And just her like, oh boy, yeah, I bet you're sorry, rolling her eyes pissed off reactions. Uh Uh-huh. It's good acting from Kirsten Dunst. Yeah, yeah. I think, I I said last time I thought all the younger actors kind of did a bad job in Spider-Man 1. I think she's doing a much better job in this movie. I agree. And I think Toby's doing a better job, but he could still use some work. Uh, But yeah, and then while he's trying to leave this big long message where he's, you know, trying to explain himself... Uh, the, he runs out of money, so he can't keep the phone call going. But then he uses that as an opportunity to just say how he really feels into the dead phone. That he he wants to tell her that he's Spider-Man, but then it's dangerous to be a cop's wife. You know, I get that this is, you know, just what this movie's about, but I feel like he had a pretty good excuse, honestly. If he just mentioned the part where he got run over by a bunch of bank robbers. That's true, that is verifiable. Yeah, and it's like a miracle that he's even alive. <laughs> It's also like, this is not the first, second, or third time he's had to make this kind of call. Yeah, 100%. So it's time to uh, go to the unveiling of the arc reactor, where just as a side project, Otto reveals that he's developed uh, AI tentacles that graft to his brain. Yeah, grafting these uh, giant metal death tentacles to his spinal cord is crucial for building a power generator. Why? Fuck you, that's why. You could you could win the Nobel for this one, but this is just like... <laughs> yeah. 
aside there's a support right like i'm thinking of like the the ps4 game where like octavius is inventing the arms as like a new kind of prosthesis and it's like a huge development and this movie is just tossed off like oh yeah you know but really the other thing is what we're here to talk about he does mention that he programmed these specifically for manipulating the sun so i right. guess that's why later they're like we have to rebuild it because i really just want to lick that sun <laughs> They also, the reporter's like, wait, if they've got super advanced AI and they're hooking into your brain, how do you stop them from controlling you? And he's like, oh, I have this very tiny, delicate microchip that does that. It's super breakable, though. Uh, in the novelization of this film, the uh-huh. lady who asked that question is actually Dr. Hank Pym. Oh, really? And he mentions that, you know, I have a helmet that can control ants and it's uh, it's <laughs> it's better than yours. <laughs> but she- how does Octavius respond? He's just like, okay, not really what today's about, but uh, cool, I guess. I'll talk to you later. I Time to do my thing. Can't yeah. really change it right now. <laughs> Wish he talked to me earlier. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, he. Fu- is there anything other before he like fires up the machine here? Uh, he he has Trinidum, super rare. Yes. Hydrogen isotope, only 25 pounds of it. Thanks, Harry, for paying for it. Right. And uh, he does it. He turns everything on and it works. He makes a little sun inside the building. And no one even has to wear sunblock. Uh, You you know, he's wearing goggles and nobody else is. (laughs) Yeah. Why is he wearing goggles? Because he's staring directly into the sun. So is everyone else. That's what I'm saying. Everyone else should be wearing goggles. (laughs) Uh, More of Dr. Octavius's classic hubris. But uh, it turns out that the sun is a really strong magnet and all the metal stuff starts getting pulled in. Yeah. Yeah, like Peter knows like a paperclip skittering across the floor and then bigger and bigger metal things start to get drawn into the sun uh, and it starts to turn into a problem. So Peter goes and switches out into Spider-Man clothes. Uh, One silly thing I liked in this movie is that the power cables that are plugging in this sun making machine are just like, Uh just like 100 regular power cables (laughs) plug into regular outlets. Yeah. (laughs) Like, it's not like a big special tube. It's just like what you would use to plug in your Xbox, but there's a hundred of them. Yeah, totally. Everyone's yelling at Octavius to shut the machine down, but he's like, ah, no, I got it. I got it. Come on. Uh, Spider-Man quickly saves Harry's life, but Harry says, this doesn't change anything. Yeah. And there's a really good Sam Raimi-like shot of the glass in the building breaking, and a big, sharp piece of glass starts flying towards Octavius' wife, and her reflection of her screaming is in the glass, and then it it cuts her head off. Well, it doesn't even cut her head off, it just, like, jams into her face. Yeah. (laughs) It's a bad way to go. Not a fun way to go. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's a shot, it is... You see her screaming face reflected in the glass, reflected in her eye. It's a good shot. That's very Sam Raimi to me. Yeah, yeah. I feel like he. I feel like this movie's a lot more Sam Raimi y than the first one was. That makes sense that he get a little more freedom in the. Yeah, he gets sequel. to have a little bit more fun with like what he does with the camera, other than just other than the great like constant Dutch angles with Osborne. But uh, Spider Man manages to turn off the machine, but the building the building's fucked, and Harry goes outside and he's like, "Well, this didn't go well. The only thing I've left in my whole life is killing Spider Man." <laughs> yeah. And he humiliated me by touching me. <gasps> yeah, he does say, yeah. He's like, oh, all I left now is Spider-Man. You saved your life, sir. He touched me. Harry is a total asshole with no redeeming qualities, but he's kind of growing on me in this movie. 
Yeah, yeah, he's a piece of shit, but he's a fun piece of shit. He's just like this completely directionless rich kid. Yeah. Who's just latching on to any purpose in his life. Right, right. Uh, So then it cuts to the hospital where they are trying to uh, get the uh, tentacles off of Octavius because all of the, like, he got electrocuted during the catastrophe and it fused all the pins in the suit thing to his spinal cord. It seems bad. It's not good. Yeah. Uh, But as soon as the surgeon starts trying to take, like, a saw to one of the arms, it seems like one of the main things driving the arms is just, like, self-preservation. Yeah, that makes sense. I can't blame them for this one. Right, so, like, when they start threatening to destroy the arms, the arms just go berserk and murder all the doctors. Yeah, this is also a very Sam Raimi scene. This is just filmed like a comedy horror movie. 100%, yeah. What are the arms? There's a doctor with a scalpel, and an arm picks him up by the wrist to jam the scalpel into a light socket to electrocute him. Also, all the doctors just have, like, I, I don't know if these are real medical devices, but they just have, like, chainsaws and buzz saws. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I assume they brought all that stuff in to cut the arms off. Yeah, but it makes it funny that the doctor's, like, being choked by the arm, and he, he right. grabs the stainless steel chainsaw to try to fight it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it's great. I remember this scene really scaring me as a kid. It's scary. Yeah, well, like, like now, I just mostly find it funny, and, like, in a good way, but... Yeah, I remember this being really fucked up and scary when I was, like, 11. Sets sets him up as an intimidating villain. Yeah, for sure. I also like you see the arms, like, have the big grabby claws, but then those can, like, fan out, and there's tiny little articulate claws inside so you can handle smaller things. The arms are a really good design in this movie. Yeah, they animate the arms really well. Yeah. Especially for 2004, I was surprised how well they held up. They're well animated, and I assume in a lot of scenes, they're just, like, anytime the arms are, like, coming in from off screen, I assume it's a puppet, you know? That makes sense. Yeah. Uh, But yeah, after all the doctors have been brutally murdered, uh, Octavius finally wakes up and just kind of stumbles in a daze outside where the arms immediately murder a taxi driver that are about to kill them. Yeah, their their self-preservation is so strong, they will just kill anyone immediately yeah i also like man he's shirtless and you can see that there's just like his skin around where the like uh like tentacle belt wraps around his midsection is all like purple and bruised and gross and they don't like zoom in on it ever but it's just kind of there and it's bad to look at in a good way yeah it's a good design yep and uh, yeah he ends up just kind of wandering out to like some place he finds like an old like abandoned building half falling apart in the river yeah there's just some just some random building in the river yep and uh then we cut to the daily bugle i feel like they realized how much gold they struck with uh jk simmons and gave him a little more screen time in this one yeah he gets a lot in this movie i'm not complaining it's great (laughs) comes up with the name doc ock yeah they're like yeah workshopping what they're gonna call uh octavius in the news and again, I do love the conceit that all the villain names are just invented by the Daily Bugle. Uh, yeah, and this is where also where they joke that, oh, we can call him Doctor Strange, that's a great name, but ah, but it's taken. Maybe Doctor Strange worked in that hospital. Oh. If this was an MCU movie. Yeah, uh-huh. If these movies hadn't been uh, cut off at the knees after three, we would have eventually gotten a Doctor Strange movie that revealed that he was one of the doctors that got attacked by the arms. And he survived, but his hands got fucked up. I really like when Jonah calls in Peter, apparently just 
us to tell him that he's fired and Peter just like shakes his head and walks out before being called back in. <laughs> Peter gets fired three times every time he comes into the Daily Bugle. He's used to it. But he's uh, he's been hired to go photograph a high society ball for his son, the astronauts. Yes. John Jameson the third. John Jameson Jr. I thought I thought this is John Jameson Jr. Uh I don't know, maybe. According to the Marvel Wiki that I looked up earlier, his son is John Jonah Jameson the third. The third. Okay. Yeah, and and the and J.K. Simmons is JJJ the second or junior. That makes sense. But yeah. Oh, I think there's also Right, yeah. When Peter comes in, they're like, oh hey, Spider-Man was there. That's weird. The guy it's like Jonah's like I don't know what that guy's role is or what his name is. The guy who's always like, Jonah, we need page one. He seems like he totally fucking knows that Peter is Spider-Man and is just playing it cool. Yeah, I'm surprised he he never got more to do in these movies. Because he just has this bit of like, they're talking about the accident and he just goes, I heard Spider-Man was there and shoots Peter a look. I'm like, oh, that guy totally knows. Yeah, he totally knows. (laughs) It's great. I love it. It seems like a lot, it kind of also seems like his doctor knows and like Aunt May knows. Yeah, there's a lot of people who know but are playing it cool. And that's, I enjoy. Uh, but yeah, then we're back with Dr. Octopus uh, in the abandoned building and he's like talking himself into just doing the reactor again but bigger because it'll totally work if we make it bigger. Um, I appreciate that they do, it seems for a moment that they're gonna do the same fucking thing they did with Osborne where he has like a split personality and they do like the Gollum thing of doing shot reverse shot with the same guy, but they kind of don't. They cut repeating that again might have been a little lame, but also it means Doc Ock doesn't have much of a personality for most of this movie. Kinda, I what I take it as again, like obviously they set up the idea that the arms now that the AI chip is broken have like control over his brain, but I don't really, I don't think that actually tracks that much other than the arms again, are just, like, going through, like, self-preservation. And they're trying to, like, convince him to stick with this idea because then, you know, that keeps them up and working. But he mostly talks himself into it with, like, a nudge from the arms. It's more like his own, again, like, pride. Just, like, no, 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 I couldn't have possibly gotten it wrong. You know, some dumb fucking thing happened, but if I just do it again, it'll work this time. Then it it does, he does suddenly become a lot more uh, disregardance of life Yeah, it feels less like the arms are like a separate personality that are overtaking him, like the Green Goblin was, and more more of like a Venom thing of like, it's bringing out the worst sides of his personality more. It's like, they they try to connect his and Peter's stories at the end, where Peter's like, sometimes you have to give up your dream to do the right thing. Right. But I don't know, I don't really feel that. It almost seems closer like this dream is his Spider-Man, where he's like ruthlessly committed to making this happen no matter who gets hurt by it yeah yeah i see what you mean yeah i think that like thematic thread is maybe a little that could have used like some more revisions on it in this movie and we'll get to it more as we get into like the big scenes around it but yeah like for most of this movie doc ock is just a guy working in the background who sometimes shows up to ruin peter's day there's not really like a strong 
connection between them. No, you're right. Speaking of ruining Peter's day, uh, Peter and Aunt May are at the bank as Joel McHale explains to May that uh, she cannot refinance her home. They, she, he won't even give her the free toaster from the ad. <laughs> right, because she didn't deposit $300 because this poor woman does not have $300 to deposit. It's a misleading advertisement. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and she like at one point is like, oh, but no, I totally have more income. I'm starting uh, piano lessons again. And Peter's like, what, you are? And she tries to kick him to shut him up but kicks Joel McHale instead and he acts like he just broke her leg <laughs> yeah it's good seems like, like he was actually the scene ends with him like limping off because of how much his leg hurts I believe it I believe he was actually hurt that much yeah, and then it whip pans around to like twenty feet away, where Doc Ock has somehow smuggled the arms under a trench coat, and they burst out and rip the vault off a bank. This trench coated figure menacingly standing in front of the vault door, which is right there, <laughs> with no security guards, which holds a bunch of uh fucking burlap sacks with gold coins. You know what? One regard in which the this movie is cowardly is that these giant sacks of gold coins don't have just dollar signs on them. I know, they, <laughs> they have should the have. the bank logo. They absolutely should have. <laughs> Why do they have so many gold coins in the bank vault? Because it's a stupid comic book movie. No, I know, I love it. It's so good. <laughs> yeah, Doc Ock is just hucking the, the bags of gold at Spider-Man, who's like slinging them back at him. Um, I did not ever play the Spider-Man 2 game other than like maybe once at a friend's house. I feel like this is an easy layup for a boss fight of like, oh, catch the bags of gold and throw them back at Doc Ock. I did play through the Spider-Man 2 game and I remember all of the mission parts were not very good. It's just swinging through the city's fun. Yeah, yeah. I The only thing I know about Spider-Man 2 is that people really liked the swinging and the pizza song. People ironically like the pizza song. I feel like it's one of those things where ironically liking it has turned into just, like, honestly loving it. Yeah, kind of like how the arms can kind of convince you to to be evil. <laughs> right, ex- it's the exact same thing. Uh, right, yeah, Doc Ock needs to rob this bank to get money to build his new laboratory. I do appreciate that they find that, found out a way to just make him be a bank robber, because that's always fun. They do kind of skip the part of, like, is he paying people to, like, deliver materials to his middle-of-the-river abandoned building? Yeah, it makes very little sense, and I think they skip it because there's no good answer to it. It's fine. It works. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, he kidnaps Aunt May to use as a hostage to get away, and the police, very unrealistically, don't try to shoot him just because he took a hostage. That's true, they don't do that. Yeah, I feel like they would have tried to shoot him anyway. Uh, but then it turns into, like, Spider-Man and Doc Ock fighting on the side of a building. Uh, Aunt May gets, like, flung through the air, like, four times and ends up hanging off an angel statue with her umbrella. And it seems like she's about to fall off, but actually there was a ledge just beneath her. There's a ledge right under her feet, and she looks up at the angel statue and it's like, thank you. It's so good. I love this scene so much. This is a good movie. Uh, Stan Lee gets a quick cameo here again as a guy who saved someone from rubble, just like in the last movie. Yeah, it's very funny to see this Stan Lee cameo. It's just like, you could blink and miss it, as opposed to the later ones where it's always like, Hi, I'm Stan Lee. Excelsior. Well, that's all from me. Goodbye. <laughs> 
I think he says something in the next movie. I think he has a line. Yeah, I think he talks to Spider-Man in the next one. Uh, but yeah, I think Doc Ock just gets away, right? Yeah, he manages to get oh, away. Oh no, we have this great bit where like he's standing in front of Aunt May and he's got like a blade extended out of one of the tentacles and he's waiting for Spider-Man to jump at him so he can just stab him with the tentacle and kill him. He- Doc Ock would have killed Spider-Man in this scene except Aunt May fucking brains him with an umbrella. Aunt May saves the day. Again, I I feel like you gotta have a couple scenes in superhero movies of non-superheroes doing critically important stuff. Yeah. And yeah, she's even getting a little, like, sassy about it with Spider-Man, where he's like, wow, we sure showed him, and she's like, what do you mean, we? <laughs> she did all the work. Yeah. <laughs> they, they have a very brief subplot in this movie, where in the beginning, she kind of, like, mistrusts Spider-Man. It's like, it, it'll be better the less we see of that guy. Right. But now she likes Spider-Man, because saved her life. I also assume this is around the point where she figures out that Peter is Spider-Man. Yeah, about the time where she's moving out, she just knows. She, yeah, she absolutely knows in that scene. I feel like this scene, because when she says, wow, I was wrong about you, I feel like there's a double meaning to it, where, yeah, I was wrong to distrust Spider-Man, and also, I was wrong about my, my uh, nephew. He's not a total flake. I get it now. Oh, I see what you mean, yeah. Yeah. Like, she hasn't been mean to Peter, but I think she's been like, oh, there's something up with that fucking kid, I don't know. Uh, Peter shows up at the high society party, and he just can't grab an hors d'oeuvre. <laughs> yeah, there's a running gag through this whole thing where every time he reaches for an hors d'oeuvre, someone snags it on him. It's good. And he tries to take a picture of some couple, but the lens is on his camera. Meanwhile, Harry is at the bar, and the bartender pours him a glass of champagne, and he goes, no, give me the bottle, and knocks the glass over to chug the bottle. Yeah, Harry is intending to get slammed here and starts talking about how he needs to kill Spider-Man and fuck you, Peter, for not telling me who Spider-Man is. Harry kind of seems slammed before he even starts drinking. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, then, yeah, we're just getting, uh, J- you know, JJJ and his wife uh, making Peter take photos of them with all the, like, high society folks. He makes some kind of big faux pas by mistaking the mayor's girlfriend, or his wife for his girlfriend. Uh, and then we finally introduce his son, John Jameson. Oh, but who's that on his arm? Oh no, it's, oh, Crystal, it's Mary Jane Watson. Oh no, Mary oh, Jane no. is dating his boss's son. Yeah, and Peter definitely misses the opportunity to take photos of them coming down the steps that he should definitely be taking. Yeah, this is what he's getting paid to do. Yeah, he's really doing a bad job <laughs> in this scene. And Mary Jane is also uh, glaring daggers at him. It's yes. like, oh, you showed up to this, huh? Couldn't make it to my play. Right. And yeah, he tries to explain himself again, but she's just, she's sick of excuses from him. He tries to say a poem at her, and she's like, what, what is this? Stop it. Rightly so. Yes. Yes. I, see, this is, this is what I'm talking about. It's like, I'm, I'm so, I love the part where Mary Jane is sick of his shit. Yes, I think at this point, I like the Mary Jane stuff. Uh, yeah, she's just like, I fucking, whatever, man. I, like a week ago, I was ready to dump my boyfriend to be with you, but you're fucking out of chances. Get away from me. Uh, so he tries to, he like lunges at a margarita on a tray and tries to chug it and it was just full of trash. And then Harry is is slammed enough to confront Peter at the party and slap him. Yeah, he gives him a good slap. Everyone kind of stops. It's like, <gasps> uh, but then that gets interrupted because uh, John proposed to Mary Jane and she said yes. And again, yeah, you're totally right that part of it is a fuck you to Peter. So P- Peter's having a real rough day here. He- he's just taking L's left and right. Right. And also his boss is yelling at him to take pictures of the girl he likes getting uh, proposed to. <laughs> 
the ultimate getting cucked. <laughs> that that's the true macuckum. <laughs> God damn you! Uh, yeah, Peter's going home, and his webs start not working again, and he he takes a hard hit fall into the ground here. Yeah, if he was, it's a good thing he's still, like, 50% Spider-Man, or he would be dead. Yeah, uh-huh. He tries to climb up the wall, like in the first movie, but he slides back down. There's a quick scene of Dr. Octopus, like, smoking and building the thing, just to establish that he's building it. I do like watching him, like, use the arms to put a cigar in his mouth and then light it. Yeah, it's cool arms. They really use the arms a lot in a way that makes me think, like, some special effects person really cracked the code on the arms and really wanted to show it off. Yeah, the the his ambiguous death in this movie also suggests to me that maybe they want to bring him back later. That's true, they could have gotten away with bringing him back. And then Peter has, like, a, a weirdly cool doctor who wears, like, a tie-dye shirt and sits up on the bench with him to give him life advice. Yeah, yeah. And he's just like, what? Well, he's like, physically, you're fine. So you got something wrong going on with you mentally. What's going on? You got, you got bad dreams? Heartbreak? What's 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 wrong with you, kid? He's like, well, I, I got this one dream. Well, actually, a friend of mine has this dream where he's Spider-Man, but he keeps falling off the walls he tries to climb. And this doctor does just know he's Spider-Man. Yeah, I do. <laughs> he's like, oh, oh, I see. Your friend has a dream that he's Spider-Man. I see. Okay, wink. <laughs> Also, like, he he would be the one to notice if there was some weird spider shit going on with his body. That's true. That's true. The doctor would see the weird little lumps on his wrists. I'm surprised this guy doesn't have a name or isn't, like, a person, because he he has a a presence in this movie more than I would have expected him to. Yeah, for sure. He kind of has a nice little scene here. Uh, And yeah, he's just like, well, okay, hey, if you're falling off the walls, maybe it's because you're not supposed to be climbing them. Maybe you gotta, you know, figure out who you are and, you know, decide what you want and reorganize your life, man. He's like, you have a choice here. You don't gotta do, you you don't gotta do things that don't work out for you. I feel like this doctor gives him very good advice that the movie is then going to kind of have a hard time really refuting. Yeah, the doctor just seems right, but then and the ghost of Uncle Ben that Peter's projecting all of his like guilt of Uncle Ben's death onto seems like a real jerk. Right. He's like, no, you have to keep being Spider-Man. You have to honor all the things I, you know, taught you. And like Peter in this dream sequence is just like, he's crying. He's like, I can't handle the pressure of this anymore. I'm trying. And it's just, I, I can't, I can't. Because it's a ridiculous thing for a person to do, and it's honestly impressive I've kept it up as long as I have. Yeah, I wouldn't say the movie ever sells to me the reason why he absolutely has to be Spider-Man. Other than the newspaper that says, crime up 75%. (laughs) Yeah, I think what the movie is going for is up till this point, he feels like he has to be Spider-Man. Because that's what would have made his uncle proud, and he owes his uncle that. And like, you know, it, it's a moral obligation, even though he hates it and he hates what it's doing to his life. And then where he goes from here is he's going to learn that actually he want he's making the active choice to be Spider-Man. He wants to help people. But I don't think it quite gets there. Yeah, I guess he, he does discover that he still has an instinct to help people. Right. It's just that the things he does as Spider-Man are such like cartoonish Robocop stuff that it's hard to buy it as a moral imperative. Yeah, that's true. Because again, this is a universe inhabited by capital C criminals. Throws this his Spider-Man suit in the garbage, just like the classic comic. Yeah, yeah. And then it cuts to a montage set to Rain. Rain. 
raindrops keep falling on my head. Great scene. It's real good. He's got to put his glasses back on. He's lost his like fixed vision. Yeah, he he trips over himself and he puts on his glasses. He's trying to like fix up his bike and he accidentally like sends the wheel flying out the window. He eats a hot dog while watching the cops chase some guy. Answers the question in class and uh, Connors goes up to him and says like, good work, Parker. And it freeze frames on him smiling. Yeah, he's like a happy, well-adjusted young man now. The freeze frame is so weird. It feels like just, it's just like the end of the movie. He's happy now. Oh, wait, no, the movie's only half over. Uh-oh. <laughs> the thing that's weird to me is that it's like, it, it's not even like a, a still frame. It feels like it's caught it in between frames. Yeah, it's kind of smeared. <laughs> That's a real odd choice. Yeah, I feel like part of where, like, I like the idea this movie has, but it's it struggles with it a little bit because the idea that, like, hey, you're doing this crazy thing and it's burning you out and ruining your life. Maybe you need to not do it anymore. Yeah, it's like, I get the whole great power, great responsibility thing, but no, it's when there's like a an army of cops chasing like three bank robbers down the street, it's kind of not his responsibility. Sounds like something Mysterio would say to steal the glasses. Like, there's a degree to which this movie says, like, actually taking care of yourself and uh, focusing on your own needs um, is a bad thing. He would even be able to do that if he just told his loved ones that he was Spider-Man so they could, like, work something out. That's true. Like, it's not even being Spider-Man. It's the fact that he won't share his problems with anybody. Right. So they can't help him. Yeah, yeah. Uh, He even makes it to Mary Jane's play. Yeah. And they have a conversation outside where he's like, so you want to date me now? I don't have any uh, disturbances to address anymore. Right. Everything's fixed. I'm good now. That means we can date, right? And she's like, go fuck yourself, idiot. Are you fucking serious? Are you for real right now? I'm getting married. You were there when I got engaged. Yeah, I I really like the line she has about, like, we can't pick up where we left off because we never got on. You've been, like, complicating things and making ambiguous for two years. So, like, we can't. We can't do this. Again, what's gonna make... I I like this scene, but the movie's going to make me like it less later when she's like, actually, I did hear what you were saying in that moment, and I was thinking about, you know... Like, no. No. Don't do that. Right. The actual thing is that she wants to say yes because she is in love with him, but she's still mad at him, so she's dating John to get back at him. (laughs) So she's about to get married. Yeah. Uh, But yeah, meanwhile, at the Daily Bugle, a garbage man brought in the Spider-Man suit that he found in the trash. Now, in the novelization of Spider-Man 2, uh-huh. uh, this garbage man is implied to be yeah. Namor, Prince of Atlantis. What? <laughs> Who wrote this fucking novelization? He's described as like, he has a triangular face and sweat back hair, and like, no one knows, he's like a homeless guy instead of a garbage guy, and Robbie makes a joke about like, oh, maybe he's Santa or the king of Atlantis, and the narrator says, the man perks up at the mention of Atlantis. What? (laughs) This sounds like a real shitty novelization. I don't know. It sounds like an MCU novelization. You're right. Yes. (laughs) 
Yeah, and anyway, yeah, Jonah, like, haggles with him uh, in between yelling at his wife on the phone about planning the wedding, and uh, I still don't know who this fucking, who his assistant is that totally knows uh, who Spider-Man is. The character is apparently named Joseph Robertson, uh, and yeah, he just, like, clutches the mask, is like, oh no. Now there's no Spider-Man, now people can get uh, mugged in broad daylight, and Peter will just walk past it. Yeah, th- that's the other part of this, right? Like... You don't have to be on-call superhero 24-7 to help out this high schooler getting beaten by two men. Right. You could step in here, Peter. But he doesn't look at us. He's like, oh, right. I'm a normal guy now, and that means I ignore it when people get the shit beat out of them. Oh, no. In this in this world where cops are good, he could call the cops. That's also true. So they they mentioned in the movie it's like a month from the anniversary of Ben's death. So they visit his grave. And May kind of blames herself for Ben's death. She's like, oh, you're the one who wanted to take the subway and he wanted to drive you. If only I had stopped him. Right. And she had also kind of nudged him into driving him. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So she's been blaming herself this whole time. So Peter finally partially comes clean and explains how, uh, you know, actually, like, you know, he's indirectly responsible for what happened. And uh, she listens And she just kind of quietly stands up and goes upstairs because she can't handle this. And again, she's such a good fucking actress. Yeah, it does kind of seem like, oh, I see you are unfairly blaming yourself for your husband's death. Here's how I'm unfairly blaming myself for his death. (laughs) Yeah, that's fair. I mean, he's much further down the chain of causality than she is. I, yes, I guess he is uh, a little more proximate. Right. Like, he made an active bad decision that led to Ben dying. Yeah, but I kind of feel like maybe, maybe not right now, but maybe later May should have said, hey, that's not actually your fault that he, he shot Ben. Yeah, that's true. That's true. That would have been a good bit for her to have. But th- this seems like where she really figures it out that he's Spider-Man. Totally. Oh, Spider-Man showed up right after that, huh? Yep. Uh, but yeah, like, she doesn't have any dialogue here and she's just selling it all through her face she's a good actress yeah rose rosemary harris is still alive oh wow is she dead 93 years old still kicking wow good for her good for her uh but yeah let's see then we're back with doc ock he's building his machine he's got it just about built basically and uh it's just he needs that dang tritium they introduce harry's butler bernard who will be very important in the next movie oh willie yeah he's like a crucial character in the next movie Wow, I do not remember the next movie very well. well he says in monotone, <laughs> your father only obsessed over his work, sir. Which, not not true, actually. That's Yeah, that isn't true, actually. <laughs> he also loved making goblin stuff. Right. Also had a weird obsession with creepy masks even before the Green Goblin thing happened. He did love creepy masks. Doc Ock attacks Harry on the balcony because he needs more tritium for the machine. And uh, Harry's initially like, yeah, fuck you. But after getting his life threatened, he's like, okay, 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 let's make a deal. I'll give you the tritium if you kill Spider-Man. Doesn't seem like Doc Ock needs to be this threatening. Uh, it also doesn't seem like if he's going to be this threatening, he has any reason to agree to Harry's terms. <laughs> like, here's my deal. You give me the tritium and I won't drop you off this balcony, motherfucker. But here's the thing. He's, uh, well, he wants to kill Spider-Man anyway, because Spider-Man's the only one who could stop him. That's true. Yeah, he's he's totally amenable to killing Spider-Man. See, that's, that's a good that's a good negotiator. You agree to something you're already you were going to do. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Uh, and Harry convinces Doc Ock, or he tells Doc Ock to, like, 
like, okay, go after Peter Parker. He knows, he, he's like, takes pictures of Spider-Man. He'll get him for you. Uh, and he's like, oh, but don't hurt him. I guess probably not. Uh, he's gone already. Yeah, he tells uh, tells him to bring Spider-Man alive so he can kill him himself and see who he is. Yeah, yeah. And this is where we see the Daily Bugle front page crime <laughs> up 75% with a big is red this- line going up. Is this shot, like, the most copaganda either of these movies have been? Maybe. (laughs) Oh, without a superhero beating the shit out of bank robbers, crime has nearly doubled in the span of, like, a week. Yeah, what's this time frame? Is this a week? Is this a month? I feel like it is a month at most. (laughs) Spider-Man was single-handedly dealing with nearly half of all crime in New York. No wonder he was burning out. So the, I can't see the x-axis, the y-axis is crimes per day, and it looks like it started at about 10 and has gone up to 90. <laughs> yeah, that looks about right. Oh, the x-axis is week one, week two, week three, week four. Yeah, yeah. no, it, looking at this chart, the, the spike starts happening between week three and this week. It has been a little more than a week. <laughs> <laughs> Spider-Man sees a burning building and kind of instinctively unbuttons his shirt to become Spider-Man, but he doesn't have the suit on because he threw it away. Right. But he hears someone yelling about how there's a kid inside and he he can't just look the other way like he did with that other kid getting brutally beaten. So he runs in, even though he has no superpowers, to save this kid. And this time it's not the Green Goblin. No, it's not the Green Goblin in a shawl. It is actually a child in a burning building. And he, he does it. He manages to save her. And she even helps him be saved. Yeah, again, love this scene. This is the kind of scene I want in more superhero movies. But, but as he's like, you know, on a like oxygen tank because he inhaled a shit ton of smoke doing this, he overhears the fireman mentioning, oh yeah, there was some other guy in that building also that died because no one knew he was there. And he just has a moment of like, oh, oh man, uh, I managed, I could have saved both of them if I was still Spider-Man. Fuck. Yeah, he's a real uh, glass half empty type of person. It's like you save the child's life. Right? You you can't save literally everybody, but you did save that child's life. Yeah. Like, even when you're Spider-Man, you're not saving every life. Well, it seems like he is, because uh, crime increases 800%. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> God. Uh, but yeah, no, I love this scene. Uh, and then it cuts to him in his apartment, and he's just, like, being uh, gloomy out the window, being like, Am I not supposed to ever get what I want? Go! And the landlord's daughter catches him brooding, and she's like, Man, he's so hot when he broods like this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she brings him some uh, some chocolate cake and milk. Okay, this drives me fucking crazy. Because the line is, she says, Would you like some chocolate cake? It cuts to them with plates with white cake crumbs on them. I mean, you might have chocolate frosting. It looks like it had chocolate frosting. In my opinion, that is not a chocolate cake. That's pedantic. Bake a goddamn chocolate cake for the scene. Okay, okay, Luke. Next time I, I offer you a chocolate cake and I offer you a white cake with frosting. Yeah. Uh, I'll make sure I don't give you that one. <laughs> They wrote the line, chocolate cake. Either have her say the right kind of cake or bake the right kind of cake. No, I'm saying it's valid to call a white cake with chocolate frosting a chocolate cake. If the other thing would be a double chocolate cake. No, that is not a... A double chocolate cake would be like a chocolate cake with like chocolate chips in it or something. Sound off in the comments, listeners. 
Yeah, send in your comments on what is a chocolate cake. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's just a moment where, like, again, I like it in the sense that he's feeling horrible. He feels like, you know, he's trapped between living a completely unsustainable lifestyle or being, like, morally negligent. And, you know, the whole, like internal conflict he's having gets temporarily short-circuited by just a kind stranger showing him just random kindness. I like that. I was surprised how short this part of the movie is because he goes from I'm not Spider-Man to back to Spider-Man like within 30 minutes. Yeah, it doesn't take long. But Aunt May's Aunt May's moving out. They gave her a few more weeks, but she said, fuck it. Yep, she cannot afford this house anymore, so she found a small apartment to move into. Uh, she's giving the neighbor kid five bucks to help her move. She's really fleecing him. <laughs> yeah, she is. But also, it's like she could afford anything more than that, so, you know, what are you gonna do? Uh, and she has kind of gotten over the conversation they had last time. It clearly, like, destroyed her in the moment, but she is, like, recovered from it. She, like, you know, hugs him, tells him she loves him. It's nice. Yeah. And also, yeah, she absolutely knows that he's Spider-Man during this conversation. Sold off all his dreadful comic books. Yep. Yeah, because the kid who's helping her move is like, Hey, Peter, you know Spider-Man, right? When's he coming back? Where'd he go? And Aunt May jumps in like, Yes, we both want to see Spider-Man again. You know, kids need a hero. Let me get, let me give you my little monologue on the nature of heroism, Peter. And how it's really important that someone should be Spider-Man so that uh, Henry Jackson has someone to look up to. Right, yeah. Spider-Man <laughs> did that for Henry as she looks Peter in the eye. Yes. I feel like this is one part where the movie slips up a little bit to me because her big monologue about like, oh, we need heroes in the world, Peter. It doesn't make a lot of sense unless you're, you live in a world that has superheroes, right? Like it doesn't work on like a metaphorical sense. It only works if you're literally talking about superheroes because she's like, oh yeah, everyone loves heroes. They all come out to just see them do heroism. And you know, then they'll talk for years about that one time they got saved by a hero. It... Either she's, like, talking about superheroes or, like, fucking she a Greek myth. You know what I mean? Right. I mean, I guess the real equivalent of this would be, like, a star athlete. Right, but that's not really the same thing. Because the other part of this is she's like, yeah, I believe there's a hero in all of us. And, you know, that, like, encourage us to do the right thing. And sometimes doing the right thing means giving up things you want, even, like, your biggest dreams. Yeah, I don't know what she means by that. Again, I think this conversation doesn't make any fucking sense unless she knows Peter's Spider-Man and she's like, has been able to figure out that he's quit because his life has been too hard and she's pointing out that like, eh, you know, I I feel like you probably have a voice in your head telling you you gotta keep being Spider-Man. Maybe you should listen to that. And she's telling him to give up his dreams? Yes. Okay, Aunt May. Right? That, again, that's where I, I kind of have trouble with this movie a little bit, is the sense, the ultimate message of the movie is like, yeah, 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 you should have, um, like when Peter in the last scene said, am I just not supposed to have what I want? The movie's answer is, yes, that's right, you're not. Nobody is. You're supposed to give up everything for the sake of everyone else. Literally everything. If if you're happy, there's probably something you could be sacrificing to help other people more. Peter, remember my last big speech in the last movie where I told you you should be with Mary Jane? Uh, give up that dream. Right! So you can be Spider-Man. And like, I am... 
listen, I definitely get the idea of like, hey, maybe you do have a certain moral duty to other people to do what you can to like make your community or your society or whatever a better place to live. But the movie takes such a hardline stance with that of like, no, 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 yeah, literally sacrifice everything for the right thing, no matter what, you don't matter. Period. And that's maybe taking that a little too far. Yeah. But also then he gets Mary Jane in the end anyway, so it's just kind of confused. Why isn't being Spider-Man the dream? Because being Spider-Man involves, like, ruining all of your life, uh, you know, your relationships and, like, you know, you can't pursue other interests because Spider-Man dominates your life. You can't even hold down a job when you're Spider-Man. Yeah, but if if you're giving up those things to be Spider-Man... Right. Like, isn't that your dream then? I think the argument May is making is that you have an obligation to give up those things. It, it's like it's like how we're talking about, you know, if he wasn't Spider-Man and was just missing classes because he had multiple jobs. It's not that holding multiple jobs is his dream. It's that he has no choice other than to do those things. And May is saying, kind of from a moral standpoint, he has no choice other than to be Spider-Man. And the key is not to neglect that moral duty, but to make inner peace with it. And just accept that, yeah, your duty to other people supersedes your own interests. I guess so. I, I just think that is too hard line of a stance that makes this movie feel a little like, what, what the fuck are you talking about? This isn't how the world works. Yeah, she doesn't really... Like, she kind of tells Peter to go back to where he was in the beginning of the movie. Like, she's not offering some kind of other solution, you know? Yeah, he, she's really not. The The point is not that he needs to find... He, he needs to, like, synthesize the two ways of being he is in this movie into something more sustainable. It's that, no, the first way was right, and if that was hard on you, well, tough shit, loser. Well, I guess she's kind of telling her to break up with Mary Jane. Yeah, you're right about that. And again, I do think the idea is supposed to be don't be Spider-Man because you feel like you have to be, because you feel external forces pressuring you to be. Be Spider-Man because you feel on the inside the call to be Spider-Man. Right, not coming from Uncle Ben's ghost, but coming from yourself. Right, because there's a hero in all of us and you should listen to the hero inside. But don't listen to the tentacles. Do not listen to the tentacles. Or the Green Goblin. Or the Green Goblin. But listen to the spider. Listen to the hero inside all of us. For whatever reason, that line, when she said it, it pinged for me as like, that was a line that was in every commercial and trailer in this movie. I, just, I believe there's a hero in all of us. Yeah. But yeah, he decides to go meet with Mary Jane, who has at this point talked herself into dumping her fiancé for Peter. Yeah, this this is the part where... Uh... <laughs> this is the part where Mary Jane, the movie just kind of stops being interested in her in her as a character. It's like, she is, she is ready, she is ready to take Peter's offer to bring Break up with her fiance and date him, and he's here like, actually, I changed my mind. <laughs> do you think that this is just like they do this entire fucking rigmarole once a month, and we're just <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> looking in on it on like the tenth go around? But she she does. Uh, there's a scene before where she like kissed John upside down. Yeah, yeah. And he didn't taste like Spider Man. So now she wants to kiss him to make sure that he tastes like Spider-Man, just like she thought she did at the funeral. It's funny, because we keep talking about how uh, everybody uh, kind of knows Peter is Spider-Man and are just keeping it cool. Mary Jane seems like the one person who honestly doesn't know he's Spider-Man, but she's the one with the line of like, somehow I think I always knew. No, you didn't. She kind of did. She had an inkling. Uh, 
she she thought he kissed like Spider-Man. That's it, really. That's an inkling. Sure. Uh, yeah. So he's like, oh, yeah, right. All that shit I said to you like two days ago about how you should dump your fiance. Yeah, um, no, don't do that. And she, she says, shut the fuck up. Kiss me, idiot. And he's going to, but then his spider sense triggers because a car is flying through the window. It's a great shot. Because even though Doc Ock doesn't know that he's Spider-Man, and even though he's not dating Mary Jane, Mary Jane is still kidnapped anyway. Right! So Peter's entire logic is completely destroyed. Yeah, he probably should have asked Jonah to, like, not print his name or something. Uh Uh-huh, yeah. But even then, Harry knows that Peter is the photographer. Yeah, but how does Harry know? Because he told him. Right, that's what I'm saying. Well, don't tell him. I guess. Like, you're gonna have a secret identity, have a secret identity. Yeah, no, you're right. Uh, but, yeah, I like that they treat the, uh, every time Doc Ock is coming into a scene, they do a version of the fucking Jurassic Park, like, ripples in the glass of water shot. Yeah, it's good. Like, the arms are big, but they're not, like, you know, dinosaur-sized, but they do stomp around with dinosaur sound effects. I like it. It's a real horror director move. Yeah, especially, like, every time there's a stomp, it, like, zooms in tighter on Peter and Mary. Peter's glasses make his vision bad now, because his powers are back. What is it that brought his powers back? That he decided that he wants to be Spider-Man. I guess that's true. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Aunt May's speech is what brought his powers back. And, like, the move to save Mary Jane while also breaking up with her, but not really breaking up with her because they're not dating, but still, like, that's that's the combo that, like, fully makes him Spider-Man again. Peter has really mastered the move of breaking up with someone without having ever dated them. (laughs) He dumps a woman he has not dated, like, three times in this movie. (laughs) Jameson gives a big speech about how he was wrong, that Spider-Man was a hero. He's the only one who could have stopped Octavius, and I just couldn't see it. I do like the- we haven't talked about it at all. The other assistant guy in the bugle that is just, like- Always in every scene, and uh, J. Jonah Jameson just fucking hates him. He's always, like, comes in the middle of Jameson calling his name. <laughs> yeah, he's like, hey, you, oh, you're here. <laughs> oh, yeah, while he's monologuing about how actually Spider-Man was a hero, and he he's really done something awful by scaring him off, he turns around, and the suit's been stolen by Spider-Man, and he immediately flips into uh, yelling about him again. He, like, shakes his fist at the heavens, yelling, I want Spider-Man! It's so good. Good character. Oh, God bless J.K. Simmons. So now Spider-Man's chasing after Doc Ock because he wants to get Mary Jane. God, I just want, there's so many good scene transitions in this movie. I'm watching the one, like, it's just Spider-Man swinging around the city, and then it zooms out to show that this entire shot has been in the reflection of Doc Ock's sunglasses. Yeah, a lot of good reflection stuff here. Yeah. But here comes the famous train scene. Yeah, they have a pretty long fight here. Uh, I did not... I knew Spider-Man didn't kill people. I did not realize, like, Spider-Man not killing people was as big of a thing as, like, Superman or Batman not killing. He does definitely try to murder Doc Ock with, like, throwing the arm of the clock at him. I don't know if they've stated his no-kill rule in these movies. They haven't, but I'm just saying if that's, like, a thing of the character overall, you know? Yeah. Yeah, he would He would have killed him. Yeah. If, if Doc Ock hadn't dodged, that would have been lethal. Uh, they end up falling onto an L train passing by, and they have a big long fight sequence on the train. I like the shot that's just them like kind of just punching each other as the camera like pulls back. 
and they're just like little ants in the shot. It's good. Yeah. Uh, there's also a sequence where they're like standing on the side of the train. Like Spider-Man's got his like, you know, sticky powers and Doc Ock's just latched on by the arms. That's cool. Good action. Good action. They're both uh, eight-legged guys. Yeah. yeah. Like it's especially good action when you keep in mind that like CG was not that advanced at this point and they were definitely having to work around like a lot of restrictions. They make it look pretty good. Yeah, this holds up really well visually. Actually a lot better than the previous one. I can see the seams, but they don't bother me. Especially compared to like uh like the Star Wars movies or the other big digital movies at this time. Yeah, yeah. And those are a lot more obvious. Um, but yeah, they have this big long train fight, it's great, and eventually Doc Ock, uh, just reaches down and, like, sets the train to max speed and then breaks the controls, and he's like, you've got a train to catch, and jumps away, because he's a good villain. And Spider-Man gets his mask burnt, so he pulls it off. Yeah, because he can't see out of one of the eyes now. The train's, like, approaching a dead end rapidly. It's gonna just fall off the tracks and kill everybody. So he's trying to figure out a way to stop it. I like the conductor kinda, like, uh like heckling him while he's trying things that don't work got any more bright ideas (laughs) oh real quick one one cg shot that does not maybe hold up as well as a lot of the others is there's a bit where spider-man falls off the train and is like swinging to catch up with it and dog hog is like throwing people off the train at him and he's having to like like grab them and fling them away and then catch them in a web those cgi bodies do not look amazing yeah those are those are polygons (laughs) yeah those are uh, those are some PS3 graphics. I feel like if this movie was made a few years later, the conductor would have been Stanley. Yeah, you're totally right. Because he even talks like him. Yep. Spider-Man tries to like stop the train by just like digging his heels into the track. That doesn't work. Uh, he tries to like you know use some webs to stop it, but it's too strong. It just snaps the webs. So then he starts just throwing a bunch of webs out to like distribute the force across all of them, and that starts to work finally. That's a physics major right there. Yeah, I like. They don't call attention to it, but I do like the idea that, right, yeah, 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 that's like an example of him using his smarts without him just being like a super genius. Yeah. This, his first attempt at the webs does fuck up uh, two buildings pretty bad. <laughs> yeah, like rips the faces off of two buildings. But uh, he does just barely manage to stop the train, like, hanging off the edge. I love all these people that don't think to go back a train car to get out of a car that's about to fall. Yeah, that, yeah, that's true. (laughs) They're too busy heckling Spider-Man to get to safety. But yeah, he, like, it looks like his arms are about to rip off. Like, his bicep is flexing so hard, it's tearing the suit. Like, it looks like it is killing him to stop this train. I love it. And as soon as he stops it, he faints and is going to fall forward, but the guy catches him. Yeah. Like, the whole front of the train is all deformed from him, like, getting crushed into it by the force. Ah, love it. Uh, And yeah, they catch him and they kind of, like... It's a real, like, uh, Jesus-y moment as they're all, like, passing his body over top of their heads. Yeah, have you heard of this one before? What if a superhero was like Jesus? Right, because, yeah, he is kind of T-posing in front of the train bef- and then collapses. You think Zack Snyder watched this and was like, holy shit. <laughs> I was going to say, in the grand scheme of uh, Jesus allegories in superhero movies, this one is pretty light-handed. Yeah, yeah. I'm just I'm just razzing it. For sure. Uh, and yeah, I love this bit where, yeah, he's had to take his mask off so all the passengers see him. And there's a middle-aged guy who's like, holy shit, he's just like a kid. He's like my son's age. He's 20 years old. 
Yeah. And, like, Spider-Man wakes up and realizes he's not wearing his mask. And all these people have seen him. And he starts to panic. And there's a guy who's just like, hey, hey, calm down. It's okay. It's okay. I love this. This is good. This is a classic for a reason. This movie puts a lot of emphasis on just, like, random people in a way that modern superhero movies don't. And it, it makes it, it makes his, like, random acts of heroism hit more because these are the people he's saving. Right. Like, some of these people might have been saved by Spider-Man in the past. That's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and then Doc Ock comes in and we get kind of, like... A subversion of the you mess with one New Yorker, you mess with all of them thing from the first movie. Because they're like, hey, if you want to get to Spider-Man, you got to get through me. And like the whole crowd kind of gets in his way and he just casually like bats them aside. He knocks out Spider-Man who's already exhausted and takes him to Harry. Yeah. Wraps him up in barbed wire. Which which he knows wouldn't hold him. He's like, whatever, I just got to drop him off. <laughs> yeah, I don't give a shit. I hate this rich kid. So Harry gives Doc Ock the tritium and... <laughs> I love how fucking... Oh, no, we gotta talk about the scene transition. Again, a great one, because the camera zooms into the spider logo on Spider-Man's costume, and inside the spider logo is Harry's mansion in a Dutch angle. Good. It's a fucking Batman 66-ass shot, and I love it. You know, they they shoot the scenes at Harry's mansion at a Dutch angle to show that he's uh, got a little bit of goblin in him. He's a little askew, you might say. <laughs> uh, but yeah, he grabs, like, a ceremonial dagger off of a table and starts to draw it as he's like I'm going to hurt you just like you've hurt me I'm gonna stick I'm gonna take this mask off so I can stare into your eyes as I kill you oh gasping and all shock it's Peter my friend how can this be I love how over the top it is there's like thunder crackling outside we talk about how toby mcguire is not the best actor in the world i think james franco is really struggling james franco is not the best actor in the world i think that they are having him play it so melodramatically that like i don't think this is him acting badly i think this is him doing a good job at acting very hammy yeah i think it ultimately works it's just like harry is kind of always like this Sure. And I'm not sure if he's supposed to be. Yeah, I think he's definitely supposed to be here. Here, definitely. Yeah. And it's entertaining always, so, you know, whatever. It works. Yeah. Uh, But yeah, Peter instantly rips off the barbed wire, doesn't even struggle with it. And uh, he's just like, Harry, yeah, I know we got shit to deal with here, but uh, you just gave Doc Ock a thing he's going to use to blow up all of New York, so... Gonna have to talk about this later, bro. Yeah, what does Harry think is gonna happen? I don't think he gives a shit. You don't think he thought ahead? No. Do you? Yeah, I guess not. <laughs> uh, and now we're getting into, like, the climax of the movie. Uh, he's still got Mary Jane tied up for some reason. I don't know why. Yeah, call back to the first film. Again, her shirt is wet and you can see her boobs. <laughs> yup. And- I think as much as we ragged on fucking uh, John Favreau for having a fetish for having his head crushed between a woman's thighs, we gotta call out Sam Raimi for being really into boobs seen through wet shirts. Sam Raimi does love that shit. <laughs> Nothing he loves more than a nipple in silhouette. 
But yeah, Spider-Man shows up and uh, they start fighting. I think this action scene, maybe just because it's so shortly after the last one, this is one where I'm like, all right, I'm getting a little tired of the action. Yeah, there's not much that happens here. He just makes the sun and it goes bad. Yeah, the exact same thing happens again, but bigger. Listen, I mean, it's like Doc Ock just kind of appears and is a problem for him to solve, but he's not like a nemesis. You know what I mean? No, you're right. Yeah, he's, he's not a foil in the way that uh, Green Goblin was because most of Spider-Man's like main conflicts are internal in this movie. It's man versus self. Yeah. But Doc Ock's, like, arms get wet, which I guess shorts him out a little bit, and he starts to get his conscience back. Yeah, he has a moment of, like, where he looks like he's coming out of, like, a daze... And uh, Peter whips his mask off. I remember something people complained about with these movies a lot. is like, oh, they're always looking for an excuse to take his mask off. I don't want to look at Tobey Maguire. I want to look at Spider-Man. Stop taking the mask off. But it's good. Like, what? <laughs> that's not, that's a stupid complaint. Yeah, I agree. Uh, but yeah, he, yeah, he shows him that he's Peter Parker. And uh, he's like, oh, right, yeah, you're that kid. You're smart, but you're lazy. Right, yeah, yeah. And he hasn't totally fended off the tentacles yet because he starts to strangle Peter. And Peter uh, kind of just plagiarizes Aunt May here. Yeah, and also gives him the line about how intelligence is not a privilege. It's a gift to be used for the betterment of mankind. This has bothered me since I first saw this movie in theaters. Because early on in the movie, Octavius tells Peter what you just said. Intelligence is not a privilege. It is a gift that you have to use for everyone else. In this scene, Spider-Man says, you told me that intelligence is a gift that you have to use. And then Doc Ock nods and goes, right, yeah, privilege. Motherfucker, you said it's explicitly not a privilege an hour ago. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> it's not actually a problem. It's just, it's something that got missed on like, a, when they were like finishing up the script or something. Yeah. And it's bothered me forever. <laughs> Like, maybe it was even just, like, an ad-lib from Alfred Molina in this scene or something, and they didn't think about how it doesn't fit the last line. Yeah. Doc Ock thinks it's impossible to stop the sun because it's self-sustaining, so even though he ripped out the power cables, it's still going. Right. But then he realizes, oh, we can just drown it. Yeah, and he does have a line about, like, oh, but but this is my dream, Peter. He's like, well, yeah, well, sometimes you gotta give up your dreams to do the right thing, man. Oh. He's like, oh, fuck, you're right. Yep, okay. Well, let's, uh, tell you what. I'll, I'll destroy my horrible creation. You go save the girl. And that's what happens. He rips apart the things so that the sun can drown in the river along with him. And Peter saves Mary Jane. Yep, and because he took his mask off, uh, Mary Jane now knows that he's Spider-Man. She's known all along. I don't believe her. I believe her. <laughs> I don't believe her. I think she's the one person who's been duped. I do like the part where he's standing over here, her, standing over her and says, Hi, this is really heavy. Yeah, as he's holding up the entire facade of the building. And they have another conversation as she's like caught in his web like a fly. Right, she's doing like a sexy pose in a big spider web for this scene. A big romantic spider web. Yeah. And he's like, ah, oh, but now you understand. We can never be together. Spider-Man will always have enemies. And I'll always be Spider-Man. So you and I can never be. And she starts sobbing in the spider web she doesn't even say to peter how i just got kidnapped anyway right <laughs> yeah she really has no like for most of the movie she is she has her own like thoughts and ideas and like snips back at peter and shuts him down these last couple scenes she's in that's all gone she's just really crazy for him yeah she is just an object for peter to pursue now R really more she's pursuing him 
Yeah, but not even, like, yes, but also, I don't know, it's weird. She's an object for Peter to uh, valiantly reject. Yes, totally. It's not, you you said he's like a reverse incel. What he is is a fucking uh, vol cell. A vol cell, yeah. Yeah, we have a word for that, I forgot. (laughs) (laughs) Meanwhile, the cops and uh, John Jr. show up. Um, He leaps off of the road onto, like, the dock to come get there. And I remember an internet thing being like, well, now hold on, he jumped way too far in that shot. He This is clearly foreshadowing that he's going to be Man-Wolf in the next movie. <laughs> when he does the jump, we were like, that that was that was an unnaturally far jump. Obviously, he got the moon rock while he was on the moon, and now he's going to be a werewolf. I am looking at it now, and a human can totally do that. It's a big jump, but like, yeah. Yeah, he's an astronaut. <laughs> right. I just remember that being a thing I heard over and over, is that that shot is subtle foreshadowing about Man-Wolf and Spider-Man 3. That's so stupid. (laughs) First of all, why would it be Man-Wolf in Spider-Man 3? They foreshadowed the Goblin. Yeah, I I, I have no answers for you. But then we go back to Harry's holding the dagger, and it's a a real slanted Dutch angle now. He hears a voice, and the camera immediately rotates to a Dutch angle. Yeah. It's really funny. What do you, what do you think is happening here? <sighs> That's a good question because uh, I mean, I would say it's not outside the realm of possibility that Norman Osborn is literally a ghost. Yeah. But I don't know if that is what's happening. That's just, I feel like that's an option on the table. Is there a, a gas leak? Because Harry doesn't know about the mirror at all. So it it does seem like that would imply that there is something going on here beyond just Harry hallucinating his father, you know? Right. But one way or the other, he sees uh, Willem Dafoe in the mirror that he used to talk to himself in. And, uh, you know, hey, I know he's your best friend, but I'm your dad. You gotta kill him, Harry. Avenge me. I'm glad they got Willem Dafoe back. <laughs> me too. Uh, do you see that, uh, thing someone sent us of, like, they brought Alfred Molina, like, hey, you're not quite doing the, this Doc Ock scene right, we want to show you how it's done, and they have Willem Dafoe strapped into the arms. No. It was pretty funny. (laughs) I haven't seen that one. Speaking of, uh, James Franco maybe not being a very good actor, this is the one big thing where I would agree with that. Uh, Norman yells, avenge me! And he goes, no! And throws the dagger. It's just the way he says no is so weird. He's, he's no goblin. No! Uh, but he smashes the mirror and discovers the Green Goblin's secret stash behind the mirror. This is why I think there's some kind of, like, goblin gas leak. <laughs> you know? Maybe. And Norman's consciousness is in the goblin juice. I mean, it's it's no less stupid than any other explanation. <laughs> but they, they, they set up the next movie. Is this the first time a movie has done this? There's no way. It wasn't done in the last one, certainly. No, it was not. Yeah, this one explicitly sets up, ah, yes, the, me and all my friends who didn't know comic books that well were like, oh, right, of course, he's going to become the Hobgoblin, not knowing that that's like a weirdly complicated thing. No, that's a different guy. Right. He's the new Goblin. It's like multiple different things, multiple different guys, right? Yeah, there's a lot of different types of Goblins. I feel like, regardless of what's in the comic books, for the movies, they probably should have just made him the Hobgoblin instead of what they... The way they do him in the next movie is sort of stupid looking. Why should he be the Hobgoblin instead of the new Goblin? Because the new Goblin just looks like a Tron reject. Yeah, but that's what Harry is. He sucks. I guess. So he should suck as a villain. (laughs) 
I guess. I just think the Hobgoblin's more fun to look at. I only know the Hobgoblin from the 90s cartoon where he was like a cool revolver ocelot triple agent. Is that what he was? I always pictured him as just the fucking, like, j- Joker. Just flying around like, yee throwing pumpkins everywhere. He was like that, but it seemed like he was always like two, three steps ahead of everyone. Uh, well, regardless, getting ahead of ourselves, we gotta talk about this wedding scene. Yeah, th- she ditches at the last possible moment. And Jameson says to not open the caviar. <laughs> yeah. As everyone is confused and uh, distraught, he's thinking about the caviar. Meanwhile, like, here comes the bride keeps blaring as she runs, like, beautifully through a park, like, past a fountain. What's going on? What do you mean? What is this? I don't know. I don't like the vibe of this this bit. Yeah, here comes the bride. It's Peter's wife. Right. I know. I just, again, I don't, even now that she knows that he's Spider-Man, he's still, like, that almost makes it worse. That means that on top of everything else, he's been lying to her through his teeth for years. Yeah, but she's just so crazy for him ever since he read that poem. I just, I don't understand. I, more than anything else, the biggest problem with this movie is there's no good reason for her to like him. Uh, they kissed upside down in the rain. (laughs) That's not enough. It was a really good kiss. That's not enough. John doesn't kiss like that. That's true, he doesn't. I do like when she tries to upside down kiss him because his thing is he's an astronaut. He goes, whoa, I'm back on the moon. (laughs) You there with me, babe? (laughs) He's just, there's not much to him, but he seems like a really nice guy. It'd be very funny to me if he was like 10% more of a character, but his entire character was just making moon analogies. an astronaut so he made a moon analogy the only thing he can ever relate anything to is being on the moon (laughs) hey remember when i went to the fucking moon (laughs) yeah you know what that's fair if i went to the moon i'd brag about it a lot too he did go he's the first man to play football on the moon (laughs) what a weirdo i wish we got more of him (laughs) yeah he's just a lovable jock Uh But yeah, uh, MJ shows up and uh, gives a very interesting thing that uh, would have uh, been fascinating if uh, it had been brought up more than a minute before the end, which is, hey, what if I got to make choices also, Peter? Yeah, what if I had a choice? (laughs) What if you didn't get to decide things for me without my input? Can't you respect me enough to let me make my own decision? Yeah, that might have been a better line a half hour earlier. Uh, so now they've chosen to not be half alive, but to be fully alive with each other. Right. And then they start making out, but, ah, you hear sirens in the distance, and she's like, ah, go get him, tiger. And, uh, watches as he goes swinging away. You're right that Peter doesn't have to answer every siren. Right? He can let that one go by. In fact, if there's a siren, that seems like someone else is on it. (laughs) That's true. (laughs) He's, he's like, trying to outpace the fire trucks and ambulances. Like, there's a whole fleet of emergency vehicles going towards the disaster. No, he's he's the one who's going to do it. I mean, given the way the crime stats happened, uh, you know, I don't, uh, I guess I don't blame him. I do like that after the big triumphant scene of him swinging away, the last shot of the movie is Mary Jane back in their apartment watching on, like, ah, oh, fuck, did I just fuck up? I might have just fucked up. Yeah, that is a strange shot to end the movie on. <laughs> yeah. It's a fucking, what's that movie, The Graduate? 
I guess it foreshadows Spider-Man 3. Yeah, yeah. Which I don't remember very clearly what happens between them in that movie. But that's Spider-Man 2. That's Spider-Man 2. What'd you think of the film? It's got issues, but it's really fucking good. You don't get many other movies where people cry over $20. Yeah, that first 15 minutes is perfect. And then it kind of wavers a little, but it's still very good throughout. Would you like to take some questions? Should we grade it first? Oh, let's grade it after. Okay, okay. Chris asks, Have you read the novelization, which has a new scene where Spider-Man fights a giant robot and it almost flies him into space? What? I have not read this novelization. I've only read the Wikipedia trivia entry. My understanding is that a lot of times when there's crazy, like, scenes like that in movie novelizations, it's because... The novelization writer got given an earlier draft of the script. Uh, Like, that was probably a scene that was going to be in this movie at some point that they ended up cutting. You think there would have been a giant robot fight? Maybe, I don't know. Like, the big one I know is the the Back to the Future novelization is, like, very different from the movie. Because it's all about, like, that movie used to have, like, a whole thematic arc about, like nuclear power and like the terror of it and the only living scrap of it in the final movie is like the stuff about the plutonium and the libyans but the novelization has a bunch of it huh yeah like the opening shot of back to the future was supposed to be a nuclear bomb test and then the camera pulled out to show that it was on a tv screen that's not what that movie's about (laughs) no not even slightly Uh, Spider-Man 2 brought in Michael Chabon to do a rewrite of the script based on the success of his novel, The Amazing Adventures of Cavalier and Clay. What famous author would you bring in to rewrite an MCU movie, and which movie would it be? Oh, God. Hmm. Are we talking, like, all-time or living authors? I would say living authors. Oh, boy. I don't know if I know enough living authors for this. Stephen King presents Craven the Hunter. Stephanie Meyer's Blade. Oh, now we're talking. Now we're talking. <laughs> Brandon Sanderson's Doctor Strange 3. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. This time there's a king in it. <laughs> but is it a good king? Yeah, it's a great king. Oh, Maxi asks, rank every Doc Ock in terms of fuckability. Please factor in the tentacles. Okay, so which all... Like, I, I assume at least we're talking this Doc Ock and Spider-Verse Doc Ock, right? Yeah, those two. What are the other ones I know? The video game one? Yep, I think he is dead last. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I would have to say that uh, Spider-Verse Doc Ock, number one. But uh, Alfred Molina Doc Ock, no slouch. Alfred Molina Doc Ock's pretty good with the trench coat. Yeah. Yeah. He's got kind of that, like... You know, he's thick, but he's not like, you know, he's got a dad bod. Yeah. He takes off his uh, his fedora with his tentacle. Yeah. And he's a smoker. Right. I would be worried that his tentacles are so, like, hard and sharp that they might, you know... Listen, there's ways that can that can be a plus, especially, you know, depending on what you're into. Uh, Spider-Verse Doc Ock's tentacles are much softer and more, like, supple. They seem more obviously suited to fucking. Listen, if you're a knife pervert, you're gonna like the, the 2004, 2003, whatever. This one. Yeah, also Doc Ock... Those those tentacles might kill you. Right. But I feel like based on what I've seen online, that might be a plus for some people. Yeah, for some people that makes it exciting. Uh-huh. Yeah, I guess I basically agree with your list. Yeah. 616 Ock, his outfit's not great. Yeah, I don't know comics good enough to really get into comic book Doc Ock's. 
the he's got the dumb bowl cut. I know that he's been like in Spider Man at some point, right? Yeah, he's done the body swap thing. How do you how do you feel that factors into this? I don't know. It doesn't really. That's not really my thing. You know. Yeah. Maxi asks, if Spider Man were real, do you think there's even a small chance that nobody on that train would try to snap a picture of his face and post it everywhere? In real life, no. Yeah, they're definitely not. There'd be some. There'd be people filming it on their phones or whatever from the ground. You know. Yeah, but they all love and respect Spider Man. Right. No. In the reality of the movie, absolutely. But we're talking about in real life. You think people wouldn't love Spider Man? I think they'd love Spider Man, but I think it all it takes is one person, maybe not even out of malice, being like, "Holy shit, look at this photo of Spider Man I got." All right, here's here's my head cannon. They take the photo of Spider Man, bring it to the bugle. Jameson burns it. Ooh, interesting. Yeah, now that's juicy. That is juicy. Cause he he, you know, cause really he just wants to keep Spider Man accountable. Well, it, it's it's a double edged thing, right? Because yeah, on one hand, he absolutely wants to keep. I mean, he wants to keep Spider Man in the papers. He's he's a money maker, but also. We established he does like Peter and he wouldn't want to seriously harm Peter in that kind of way. That's true. And the and the businessman point is good too. Yeah. You can't you can't sell the cure. You gotta keep selling the treatment. Exactly. Mike asks, have you seen that video of Alfred Molina rehearsing for his upcoming Broadway run of Fiddler on the Roof while in the Doc Ock gear? <laughs> have you seen this, Crystal? I have not seen it, but I can imagine. Oh, we it. gotta we gotta get your live reaction. It's the best thing in the world. Okay, I'm searching Fiddler on the Roof, Doc Ock gear. It's called uh, Alfred Molina Does Fiddler on the Roof. And just the title card says, During the final months of filming, Alfred Molina was also in training for his role on stage in Broadway's Fiddler on the Roof. After an intense day of filming green screen footage for Spider-Man 2, Molina takes a moment in between takes to lighten the mood. Okay, I'm I'm, I'm picking it up. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> If I were a rich man, he's like snapping his fingers, but then also the puppeteers that work the tentacles <laughs> are like snapping them and dancing the tentacles around along with him. It's so good. Oh, it's so good. It's delightful. <laughs> oh, what cute little puppets they are. Yeah, yeah. I'm so glad to see him again. It's really good. They'll, they'll, they'll show the trailer for that next Spider-Man must be out soon. It might be oh, out by the yeah, time yeah. you're listening to this. Possibly. Yeah, when's that supposed to be out? Uh, December. <laughs> December, yeah. Because they have to get it out, like, by the end of the year or the contract falls through, right? I, I'm i not sure if that's true. I, that no, because I, I, no, I think what it is is, like, Sony has to make a Marvel movie, a Spider-Man movie, like, every two years or they lose Spider-Man. I'm not sure if those... I know you do have to make one every so often. I don't know if it's every two years. It might not be every two. I, I believe it is the case that they have to bring out a Spider-Man movie in 2021. Maybe, but... It it is happening this year. Yeah. J-Bob asks, which superhero's costume would you display in your office like a trophy if you found it in a garbage can? Like any of them, really. Uh, I don't know. I, probably Spider-Man would look the best without a guy in it. Spider-Man's would look good. Um, maybe, uh, just Thor, uh, not Thor, uh, Hulk's, like, purple pants. Oh, that'd be good. <laughs> just the extra large purple jorts. Okay, I do kind of want comically oversized ripped purple jorts on my wall now. <laughs> Show your real Hulk head. <laughs> Jasmine asks, if you were Isekai'd into one of the tentacles each, how would you best stop Doc Ock from going off the deep ends? 
If I was, if I was one of the tentacles, or I guess we're both a tentacle, is that the yeah, idea? Yeah, we're both a tentacle. I feel like it wouldn't be hard. Well, if the other two guys are saying, kill, kill, murder, murder, we just say, right. don't? Yeah. And it cancels I out? that would be all it would take. And then, yeah, neutralizes it. Perfect balance. <laughs> yeah. Kim asks, is Harry the worst friend in the world for getting huge amounts of a fake mineral thing while Peter and Aunt May are crying over being given $20? I mean, yes, absolutely. Why, why, is, uh, why is Peter put up with Harry? I don't know. I guess because he feels guilty about what happened with Norman. That's true, he did kill his dad. Uh, again, uh, hold on. I feel like we need to not accept Harry's narrative here. He absolutely did not kill Harry's dad. <laughs> Harry's dad killed himself. He doesn't deny it in this movie. Harry's dad tried to kill Spider-Man and Spider-Man dodged. That is all that happened. Spider-Man in this movie does not say, I did not kill your dad. I understand that. I'm just saying, as far as I'm concerned, no killing took place. It was a suicide. Yeah, and he didn't kill that criminal either. Which criminal? The guy who fell out of the window. Oh, that guy, I feel like he got way closer. I I would be willing to call that a murder of some kind before I would ever call the Green Goblin one a murder. Like, at least he did something that, like, caused that guy to die. He, like, intimidated him and scared him and make him fall over. Green Goblin, he did nothing but jump out of the way of an attack that the Green Goblin launched. Let me say this, then. He's more responsible for the Green Goblin's death than he is Uncle Ben's. Mm, I don't even know if I'd go that far with you, but we, we don't need to s- debate it. Carrie asks, how would you admit to Aunt May that your uncle's death was your fault? <laughs> I think he did it about as well as he could have. I'd say that I'm Spider-Man. <laughs> yeah. And say that I got revenge on the guy by not killing him according to Daredevil rules. I feel like that would not honestly make Aunt May feel better, even though she does have a line of like, oh, if I could just be face to face with the guy who did that, I don't know what I'd do. I think if she heard that Peter basically killed him, she'd be a little like, oh, I mean, I get it, but. Huh. Yeah, but then she'd be like, maybe you shouldn't be Spider-Man. <laughs> right. And Zonigal asks a question, what are your thoughts on Frank Castle being in the ending of the film? I'm not sure what he means by that. Yeah, what? What do you mean? I'm looking up Frank Castle Spider-Man 2. Oh, he... (laughs) A guy who kind of looks like he might be Frank Castle is in the shot of Mary Jane running through the park. Oh, yeah, that guy does look like the Punisher. Yeah, it's about as uh, much of a thing as fucking... Oh, uh, John jumped really far in that shot, so he must be the man-wolf. Hold on, let me see the other examples from WhatCulture.com's seven times comic book movies had crossovers before Marvel. Oh, no! Let's see, that was number five. Uh, Number six was Doctor Strange being referenced. Yep. I guess Batman and Robin alludes to Superman. That sounds vaguely familiar. Uh, Number four, some allusion to the Fantastic Four in the first X-Men movie. Okay. uh, Elektra is a movie that happens. Supergirl (laughs) is a movie that happens. And Thor and Daredevil appeared in the uh, Incredible Hulk. TV movies. Yeah. Okay. Frank Castle is the most specious of those. Uh-huh. Oh, oh, you know what? I'm looking at it actually in the commentary for the movie. They do say that's explicitly supposed to be Frank Castle. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it looks like they... Okay. Oh, okay, okay. They... Because they were making a Punisher movie at the same time. They wanted Tom Jane to cameo in this scene, and they couldn't get him. So that is one of Tom Jane's stunt doubles from the Punisher movie. So it is... Yeah, that, that is an intentional thing. I apologize to what called culture.com yeah <laughs> they were right on this one yep and finally from cat we have a belated endgame question 
Uh-oh. Luke, you've seen some tokusatsu now. You ever seen any of the really big crossover movies where they get like 200 suit actors to do a big silly fight in a quarry? Do you wish the makers of this movie had watched some of that before essentially making the most boring version of it as much as I do? <laughs> and they linked the video, which I will post in the Skype. Okay, yeah, yeah, let's, let's see this. Because I've seen like probably clips, definitely stills of the kind of thing they're talking about. Uh, how do I fucking bring up the chat? There we go. I mean, this is basically how you would do the endgame fight if the only thing you could afford was pyrotechnics. But you know what's great about this fight? Huh. If the sun's up, it's the middle of the day, you can see everyone. <laughs> yeah, that is true. That is true. It's not just the big brown blob yeah. where people will zoom in and see, well, actually, there's a little bit of the sky here, so there's technically blue. Right. Yeah, that would be the biggest lesson to learn from this, I guess. Yeah, this is this is totally fine. Yeah. There's part of what makes tokusatsu fun, especially older tokusatsu, is that all they have are pyrotechnics and it's got a little bit of, it's not this, because obviously these are all trained professionals and I'm sure it's very difficult to make, but it gives you a vibe of like home movies made in someone's backyard and that's delightful. Uh, Kat recommends if you want to see a very stupid, enormous crossover, but in a fun way, the first superhero Tyson movie is an unsettled gay breakup story and also Gintaro Forze shows up for two scenes. Oh, great. Love a Gintaro Forze. And that's the end of the email. All right. What grade would you give Spider-Man 2? What grade did we give uh, the first one? A- from both of us. Hmm. Because I was thinking A- for this one, but it's definitely better than Spider-Man 1. By a pretty big jump. I'm I'm wondering if I want to demote Spider-Man 1 to a B+. Well, the thing is, you have to keep in mind that we're all grading this on the curve of the MCU movies. Right, for sure. So it's like... These are both better than every MCU movie. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I guess thinking about it in those terms, I would give it an A. Yeah, I was thinking the same thing. A, the same grade I gave to Spider-Verse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Have I given anything just a flat A? No, I haven't. So that works. Yeah, this is an A. Yeah. So yeah, next time I ugh, again, I saw Spider-Man 3 in theaters and have not seen it since. I'm very curious to revisit it. I'm also very curious to revisit it because I remember it being really fun. And that the the Sandman stuff was really good. Yeah. I feel like the two most likely possibilities are possibility one is it's just a great movie and everyone that uh, shit on it was wrong and stupid. And possibility two is uh, the things people shit on it for were great, actually, such as the dancing and musical number. Wonderful. That's great. But maybe other parts of it, not so much. The Venom parts definitely won't be Tom Hardy's Venom. No. But also, is it really fair to compare the two? Yes. <laughs> They're both Venoms. I know, but you know, listen, that, that was made in a pre-Venom world. You know how you know how sometimes people say like, well, that's like apples and oranges about two extremely similar things. No, no, they're the same thing. I'm just saying it's like, um, you know how, like, uh, pole vaulting got changed when they figured out you should, like, run at the thing and twist sideways to flip over it to get extra air? You know, it's not fair to look at scores before that and be like, well, yeah, they're a lot lower because no one had invented that jumping technique yet. No one had invented sitting in the lobster tank. Right, yeah, exactly. If only, uh, Topher Grace had known. <laughs> if only he'd 
known. Luke, do you have anything to plug? Uh, yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at SSJ Speed Racer. You can find other shows that I do on Audio Entropy, such as uh, it is no longer Common Reprisor Thursday. We are now doing Reprise Falls, uh, a show where we watch Gravity Falls, a cartoon that is pretty widely liked that I haven't seen before. Um, you can also find me on Eidolon Playtest. It's an actual play RPG that IGM. It is two different campaigns that release on alternating weeks. Uh, we are playtesting Eidolon Become Your Best Self, a game that uh, me and my friend Molly have made together. It's real good. Crystal is on one of the shows, Eidolon Pop. Uh, we're, we're having a great old time over there, and you should join us. You can find me at Arcane Crystal. You can find me on the Book of Majora podcast on AudioEntropy.com, which contains a variety of great podcasts. <laughs> oh, you're saying AudioEntropy.com contains a variety of great podcasts. I thought you were saying the Book of Majora contains a variety of great podcasts. No, the AudioEntropy does. Right, that makes more sense. Where's all the good Spider-Man jokes? Would you say that you need to go somewhere else? If you're going to find a good Spider-Man joke, you need to find a different spot on the on the, on the the World Wide Web. On uh, the World Wide Web. See, the problem is we've done so many fucking Spider-Man episodes that I don't remember what I've said before. That's true. And hey, guess what? We still have three more to do. Yeah, I'm going to search for a Doc Ock joke. We're going to take a nice long break before we touch Amazing Spider-Man. Yeah. We got other shit to talk about. What does Spider-Man do when he's not fighting crime? Uh, what does Spider-Man do when he's not fighting crime? Web development. <laughs> All right. I liked mine better. <laughs> we can use yours. Bye. <laughs> Slow spinning redemption.